Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning, everybody. It is a beautiful Sunday morning in the Delaware Valley. Going to get up to 68 degrees here as we begin May. I'm Glenn Macnow along with Ray Didinger. And Ray, the NFL draft has concluded, which mm-hmm. to me means that as you walked to work today from Rittenhouse Square to 24th and Market, you were probably accosted in a friendly manner. Mm-hmm. I mean, accosted in a in a uh, in a in a negative, violent way, but in a friendly manner by people who came up to you and said, "So, Ray, in the in the sixth round, the Browns took my cousin's nephew. Was well, he any good?" Mm-hmm. And that um, even though you left your house shortly after nine, that Brief walk probably took a lot longer than expected. Usually does. I allow for it. Yes, you do. I allow for it. You, on, you are the world's politest man. Yes. On on the day after the draft, yeah, I always I always allow myself You build that in, do you? Yeah, I, I sort of I sort of bake that in. I give myself an extra ten, fifteen minutes to make the walk. And it didn't uh, disappoint. I was stopped um, <laughs> not one, not two, but three times. There you go. Good. Uh, Ray, did, did, did how did you good or not? That, that was that was it. That was two of the three. Well, guess what? It's pretty much what I'm going to ask. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I don't know if I'll use that voice, and I don't mean to denigrate anybody because we all we all have the same goals, which is for success for our NFL football franchise. Uh, and Ray, uh, Howie Roseman said uh, yesterday that uh, after the draft that he knows his team still has work to do. But he believes they are a better football team now than they were when they lost in the playoffs to Tampa Bay. Uh, quote, we're a better football team than the last time we took the field. We got better. Well, Ray, I would imagine that every general manager in the NFL should be saying that today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would imagine most genuinely believe that. But I want to take a look at it today uh, as we begin the show with that question. Are they better? Um, and start with the overall. As as we move through this hour, I want to deep dive into yesterday's picks mm-hmm. and undrafted free agent signings, which were a lot more interesting than usual. Yeah, we have to spend a little time on that. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're going to do Eagles that. Didn't, the Eagles didn't close up shop after their last draft pick. They, no. They, they went to work on the phones, and I think they did uh, They did some pretty good work there. A little, okay. under, a, little, a little under the radar, but I think very important. Yeah, well, they had some defensive backs and two quarterbacks, including one of Ray's sleepers. So we're going to get into all of that. We are going to discuss Sixers today with Keith Pompey, Pompey excuse me, in the Inquirer. He's going to join us at 11. 
Um, we will break down the draft later. The overall NFL draft is Shil Kapati of The Athletic, who takes a very good look at the league. We'll get into every Phillies. Ray will even bury the Flyers before we get out of here today. But as I said, I want to start with the big picture of the Eagles. Uh, and are they better than they were last um, January? And what are they? And so let me set it up with this. They didn't do a whole lot in free agency. Uh, Hassan Reddick was the big get. Zach right. Pascal, the receiver, came in. Uh, Kaiser White, the linebacker, uh, came in. Who I always call Kaiser so for some reason. <laughs> um, but they made it. They they remade a lot of their units: wide receiver, defensive line, linebacker. This week didn't address the secondary and some other things as much as we hoped. Let's break it down. Uh, Ray Dinger, in your esteemed opinion, what position group has Howie Roseman improved the most? since we last saw them getting thrashed by the Buccaneers. Linebacker. Linebacker. Never thought never thought you'd wow. hear, never thought you'd hear that associated with the Eagles, but I yeah. Didn't, I didn't even know it counts as a unit. Um okay. Well, I'm, I'm counting see I'm counting Reddick as a linebacker. Okay. I'm counting him as a linebacker and you mentioned Kaiser White. Uh and then of course the big, you know, the big the big sweep up in this draft to me was getting to Kobe Dean. To me being able to get him in the third round um, was the was the was the real coup of this of this draft weekend. Okay, now when you say um, you're counting Reddick as a linebacker, it certainly indicates what I think we've all kind of known, but hasn't been discussed a whole lot, which is the Eagles' defense has appears like it's fully going to transform into a three-four this coming season. Is that your read here? Certainly looks like it. Yeah, certainly looks yeah. like it. I don't I don't know that that's going to become. Their base defense, you know, I don't know that that's going to become the defense that they play every snap, uh, but they certainly have acquired uh, three, four type of players. Yeah. Uh, I mean, most notably, the first round draft pick uh, yeah. is Jordan Davis is really a perfect nose tackle is really kind of what he is. I mean, you can use him other ways. He's got enough athletic ability and he's got enough other skills that you can. I mean, you can put him in a four man line. You can put him as a three technique sometimes if you want to. But what he is really is, I mean, he's your classic nose tackle. So, And to me, Hassan Reddick is, is a pass-rushing guy who needs to be a stand-up-on-the-edge kind of player, which also, to me, translates to 3-4. So, I mean, I don't know if it's going to be their base defense, but I think you've, it looks to me like they're certainly moving into an area where that's going to be something that they can shift into in given situations and have success with it. Okay. So you're counting Hassan Reddick as a as a linebacker. He's an edge rusher. Um, is he guys going to play three downs, or is he's going to come in on second and long? Who Reddick? Yeah. Oh no, he's 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 on the field for every snap. I he's would on assume. the field for every snap. Yeah, I mean he's I mean he's that good. I mean if you use him right, he's uh, he's he's a difference making player. But you got to use him right. That's you know I, I I can't tell you how many times in the last week and over this past weekend I said over and over again. You know a lot of this is on Jonathan Gannon. You know, I mean, yes. you, you, you brought in some players here. Yeah, that's where that, I was going. Go on. Yeah, I mean, look, you brought in some players here that have real skill, that have real, real skill and strength. Um, but they have to be utilized properly to maximize that. And that falls in the lap of the defensive coordinator. You know, Hassan Reddick is, in the right system, is really good. But if you put him in a defense where you gave him a lot of pass coverage responsibilities, where you got him, you know, when the ball snapped, he's backpedaling and trying to run with a tight end down the same well you're not using him to his greatest advantage same thing with uh, with Jordan Davis you know I mean he's he's a guy that can really stop the run and I think if you work with him you can make him into a better pass rusher but if you 
if you try to make him if you if you try to make him a different kind of defensive tackle, if you try to make him into Aaron Donald, let's say, well, you're not using him to his best advantage. If you take him off the feet, if he only plays 20 snaps a game, you're not using him to his best advantage. Again, this falls this falls into the into the lap of the defensive coordinator. So you've got a lot of these kinds of guys who can be really good, but they have to be used the right way, and that's really up to the coach. Well, Ray, as usual, you anticipated one of my questions before I even asked it, uh, which was, who's the biggest question mark on this on this team right now? Um, and I guess really the answer is, is Jalen Hurts. But it's, it's, if it's one in 1A, one I think the other answer is Jonathan Gannon. You can argue that Jonathan Gannon had very little to work with last year and that the uninspired passive defense that he played uh, way too often perhaps was at least in good part born out of necessity. Mm-hmm. I, can, I Listen, I understood. I mean, weeks there were weeks that watching that team where, you know, I'm gnashing my teeth and saying, why don't you – do like something here. Blitz yeah. somebody. Yeah, something. I mean, are you really just going to let this guy stand there and complete every pass? I mean, are you really is that, are you really just going to say, are you really going to give up all that underneath stuff? Are you really not going to bring pressure on the quarterback? I mean, really, this is the way we're going to play. I mean, it did. I shared the frustration of the fans to a large degree, and Lord knows, sitting next to Seth Joyner, I certainly, <laughs> I certainly heard it la- long and loud oh, on oh, a lot no of doubt. Sundays, but. You know, then I would I would do kind of what you said. I would kind of take a step back and say, you know what, I I think he's just trying to do the best he can with what he's got. Right. Uh, well, now he's got some he's got some more he's got some fun toys to play with this year. And now and now it's sort of like, okay, we brought you these guys. We've given you the, we've given you Jordan Davis. We've given you Hassan Reddick. We've given you Kaiser White. You know, these are guys you didn't have last year. Now we're bringing in the Kobe Dean. Now you got some guys who are true playmakers on that side of the ball. Okay. Okay, coach, go coach. Okay, you got better players now. You got more tools to work with. Let's see what you can do. Yeah, um, I, I, I think, I think that's it. I think we we kept hearing toward the end of the year or early in the off season, like you know, somebody's going to steal Jonathan Gannon and make him a head coach. And I don't know how true that was. We well, got but, a couple of interviews. Right, he got a couple of interviews, and so some people see him as having a big upside. We're skeptical based off of what we saw last year. This is his chance. This is his opportunity to show that he really was a uh, terrific hire when they brought him in as defensive coordinator and is a guy with a future. All right. So you, we're talking about the linebacker. You got Hassan Raddick as an, as an edge guy there, uh, which I get. Uh, Nicobe Dean, we talked a little bit about yesterday. How do you see him ideally used in the defense? Um, every down player. I just, you know, I, I know we're into the into the era of package defenses and you know, every snap you got eight guys running off the field and eight new guys coming on. But there are certain guys that just have to be out there. And to me, if he's and this seems like a stretch to say when you're talking about a rookie third round draft pick. But if he's the player that I saw at Georgia, then he's got to be on the field. I mean, he's just got to play. And I think that uh, I think he's very versatile. You know, I think he can play inside. I think he can line up inside. He can do all the things you need him to do inside, even though he's 5'11". He, he gets to the ball quick enough that he beats a lot of blockers to the point, which is, I mean, you, it's fine to be 6'3 and 250 pounds and have that, have that kind of muscle uh, to run to the football. And, you know, Jeremiah Trotter was that guy. I mean, yeah. he, I mean, he just he just played a power he played he played a power game in there and played it very well. 
and Jim and here we, and here you go to the coach and Jim Johnson knew how to play to Jeremiah Trotter's strengths. Um, Nakobe Dean is is a guy who's a different package, but brings a very specific skill set there where he can do all that stuff inside. He can also run with the tight end if he comes down the seam. He can also get outside and and cover on the slot, uh, and he can blitz. They didn't blitz him a ton at Georgia, but when they did, he was very effective. I mean, he's he is he is a multiple multiple dimensional defensive player, and that's why you know that and that's why you know we in this town and, and I really think that's part of the problem with Jonathan Gannon is a lot of people look at their defensive coordinator through the prism of Jim Johnson, who was a master at identifying the strengths of his players and building his defense around them. Jeremiah Trotter, Brian Dawkins was the perfect example. I mean, he took Brian Dawkins, who was a young safety that was trying to find his way and turned him into one of the most versatile defensive weapons in the NFL. I mean, good credit to Brian because he was that good, but Jim Johnson recognized what his abilities were and every week built his game plan around those. That's what Jonathan Gannon's got to do, but this year he's got better guys to do it with. Ray, a lot of people in this town view their defense through the prism of Buddy Ryan, mm-hmm. which is what they grew up on, which is we're going to beat you up, which, right. is, which is what they hated last year. They got none of that. Um, is there anybody N'Kobe Dean comps to in your mind? You know, I'm, I'm trying to think of, like, have I seen him before? Uh, and I, I know there's a Hall of Famer that you're. Yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm sort of, I'm sort of biting, I'm sort of biting my yeah. tongue here to, to not say Ray Lewis because. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were going to say Sam Mills. Well, I mean, Sam Mills, Sam Mills was was unique. I mean, Sam Mills was five feet eight and is a linebacker that made the Hall of Fame. Uh, I, I just think that he's a he's he's a special category. Some of the same, some of the same traits though, uh, in terms of being smart, being incredibly instinctive. Um, and I know over the last couple of days, I've used that term. A lot. I've used the term instinct a lot, which is it's an important component of football, but I don't think it's anywhere more important than it is at linebacker. To me, linebacker instinct is, I'm not going to say it's everything, because you need to be able to run, you need to be able to hit, you need to be able to do the physical things. But the instinct to be where you need to be at the right moment is a huge part of playing linebacker, playing it really well. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the one thing that, to me, every time I watched, every time I watched Georgia and I watched that defense, the I was just drawn to Nicobe Dean. I'm just saying, how does this kid do this? We can, how does he always know where the play is going? Uh, and that's something that he's got. I mean, it's just you can't coach it. You can't build it. You can't manufacture it. You can't find it in a book. It's either it, – a kid's either got it or he doesn't. And Nicobe Dean's got it. Uh, and that's why as I watched the draft play out, to me he was a clear first-round draft pick. I, I was, But I knew there were some questions about his size and stuff that was probably going to knock him down the ladder. Okay, but I certainly didn't expect him to fall into the third round. And all through the second round, I'm having these thoughts about Kobe Dean is still there. The Eagles have to make a move for him. They have to. We went through the second round. Eagles take a center. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, my God. Really? You're taking a, you're taking a backup center and Kobe Dean's still sitting there? Okay. And at that point, I kind of wrote it off. I figured if they don't take him now, they're not taking him. And then in the third round, how he surprised me. You know, he, I mean, at that point, I had kind of given up on the N'Kobe Dean thing. Uh, and then when they picked him, I just jumped out of my chair. Because I've, I've, I've felt real strong things about him all during the season. Uh, and to think, and I always kept thinking, boy, would I love to see him come here and play in Philadelphia. Because I think he would be such a natural in this town. And such an obvious need of this team being answered. And lo and behold, you don't expect to get your – you don't expect to get wish fulfillment in the third round of a draft, but I got it yesterday. Okay. Um, one 
position group that they really didn't address much in the draft, of course, was the secondary, which arguably was the biggest need they had coming into the draft. And um, they did sign some guys afterward. Again, we'll get to those in the second segment. But yesterday, Howie Roseman was asked uh, in his post-draft news conference whether, you know, anything going on with Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger, is sitting out there. They certainly could uh, could use some help in that safety room. And here's what Howie had to say. Yeah, I think that uh, where we are at the safety position, um, you know, we got a lot of confidence in Anthony, and that's why we brought him back. We got a lot of confidence in Marcus. Uh, Marcus played really good football for us last year. Um, we got a lot of confidence in, in Kayvon. And then um, we brought Andre here last year. We have Jared, and then uh, we'll continue to look at that position. Um, you know, nothing imminent, um, but again, um, we probably have a, a higher um, vision of that room than maybe is perceived. Well, I'll certainly agree with the last sentence. Uh, so the names that he rattled off, and I think he just went first names with all of them, were Anthony Harris, Marcus Epps, mm-hmm. Kayvon Wallace, uh, Andre Shashir, and and Maiden, who, to be honest with you, could walk into my living room and I wouldn't know who he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope he's not telling the truth there, which is fine if he's not, and they go out and they you know sign Tyron Matthew in the next few days. Or you know what? I really ought to look. I don't know if there's any other safeties on the market right now. I, he's he's the, you know, the biggest name out there. Mm-hmm. Um, Ray, I love as you say what they do with linebacker is great. I think they're, you know, we even speak of the first round pick who Jordan Davis gives you something big right in the middle of the defensive line, mm-hmm. which I love. Um, but if you don't have corners and safeties, you're in some big time trouble. And I don't think they have corners and safeties other than the one. Um, right now they don't right now. They don't. I mean, right now to, in my view, you've got one and a half corners, you know, you've got Darius Slay, who's coming off a really good year and is, and is a good player. I mean, there's not, not much question about that. He's getting up there in years. You have to start thinking about maybe a couple of years down the road, replacing him. But for now, but for now he's good. Um, you've got Avante Maddox, who I think they finally figured out is not an outside corner. He's a slot corner. Uh, that's where they played him last year. That's that's where he belongs, frankly, given his size and given his mm-hmm. skill set. And and he's fine in there. And you need that guy. You need that. You need that other corner that can play in the slot. They found that in Maddox. That's good. But that other outside corner that you you know, you, you went all you know you went all last season with Steven, Steve Nelson and he's just not that good. And they chose not to re-sign him for a reason. But you haven't replaced him. Uh, and at safety, I mean, you bring in Anthony Harris back. To me, it was disappointing yeah. last year. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he was he was a free agent signing that people thought, oh, he's not bad, and and had had some success in the past, and had played in Gannon's system. So you figured, well, okay, you know, he'll come in here and he'll he'll be pretty good, and not really, you know. And I, I thought, I, frankly, at the end of last year, I wasn't at all sure that they were even going to re-sign him. Well, they did. They brought him back, and he's right now he's really the only safety you've got that uh, that you can point to, and you kind of have some track record of what you can expect from him. Um, Kayvon Wallace was a kid they drafted a couple of years ago with some some real expectation has not really shown it. I mean, Epps they talk about it. Yeah, he played some last year, but I I just see him as just kind of just another guy. Um, and so yeah, to me to me you've got you've got Darius Slay and you've got Anthony Harris and you've got Avante Maddox in the slot and you're still to me one corner short and one safety short. You know, and I, I'm, you know, I'm with you. I'm kind of in the chorus about uh, 
about uh, the honey badger. And if he's unsigned, which he is, um, and we know, you know, I think there's a perception out there that he's like old, and he's not. He's only thirty. Yeah. I mean, he's it's not like you're talking about a thirty-five, thirty-six-year-old guy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's can, still safeties can play a while. Yeah, and he's you know, and he's been a guy who's been very durable. He doesn't have any history of injury. Um, and everywhere he's been, he's played well. He's been part and a big, not just a part of, but a big contributor to a Super Bowl team in Kansas City. Um, I I think he's to me he's the guy, and I, and. I don't know where they are financially right now. I mean, and, and you know, the Honey Badgers, he's going to want a few dollars to come here. But to me, he would be, he would be the best investment you could make. The one, the one thing that I would throw out there, and I don't know where this stands at all, but they do still have Jacoby Stevens, uh, who to me was a guy they drafted last year. Not high, but a guy that I saw play in college and is a very versatile defensive back and to me projects mostly as a strong safety. But he got hurt in training camp, didn't really get a chance to contribute, um, and the fact that Howie never mentions him makes me a little makes me wonder what if they even have him in their plans. Mm-hmm. But you know, when I look at when I look at their depth chart, I mean that's a name that sticks out to me because I, I I was pretty happy about drafting him last year. We didn't really get a chance to see what he could do. Uh, he's still on the board for them, so maybe possibly he could emerge. But the Honey Badger would be. I mean that 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 to me is is a layup. I mean that's an easy one. You 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 sign him. Now you've got now you've got a, another safety, and they didn't draft a corner. But um, you know maybe I was talking to Barrett Brooks yesterday, and he said, you know what? This maybe this tells us that they really like Zach McPherson. You know maybe they maybe. really didn't, you know maybe they really with him last year. Yeah, I mean they drafted him pretty high. I mean he was a he was a fourth round pick last year. Didn't get on the field much, uh, but maybe what this tells you is. Coaches really like him, and you know, and they feel like they've seen enough that they're comfortable moving forward with him. I don't know. I mean, it's it, you'd, you'd like to have a little bit more uh, evidence that the guy can play, but possibly that could be part of it. Is that maybe the coaches here have seen enough that they're that they feel good about McPherson? Hey Ray, is Howie's rattling off all those names of all those potential safeties? I'm going to test your knowledge here of 1960s classic rock. Right? Because mm-hmm. I know you listen to it. Oh, uh, yeah, all the time. Okay. Do you remember uh, a song called 96 Tears? Oh, yeah. Question Mark and the Mysterians. There you go. There's your secondary. <laughs> Very good. Well played. <laughs> there you have it. Uh, let's go to the phone. I didn't like one... that song very much either. You didn't? No, not really. Oh, I'm like aware it. of it. I got, Lord knows they played it to death. It's back, got a good back, beat, right? Back you in the dance day. dance to it, as they used to say on uh, American Bandstand. Well, Question Mark and Mysterious did not have a whole lot of, you know, they were sort of one and done now. There you go. But I think using it in this context, I think, I think it applies. I think they all came out in sunglasses and, like, you know, you weren't supposed to know who they were. That was their whole gig. Uh, let's go to Tom in Downingtown. He's got some thoughts about the draft. Tom, what's on your mind? Hey, guys. Good morning. Morning. Um, I got a question about the Davis pick, and I've got a comment about the Brown trade. Uh, Question first. Ray, do you think that either Davis or Hamilton would have been available at 15 if we didn't trade? Either one or both? Either. Either uh, either one. Either one. This Uh, is a great question because I've thought about this. Yeah, um, would they have been? Uh, no, I think Hamilton would have been gone. Well, do you think Davis would have been gone too? 
Um, Would Hamilton go 13, Davis 14, and then you're stuck at 15 with neither is really, I think, where we're going with this. Yeah. 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 I think Hamilton would have been gone. I think there's a chance that Davis may have been there, just, but just a chance. I couldn't say it with any kind of real certainty. Okay. Because that was my concern as to whether or not we paid too much to move up to get him. And, and, and I'm kind of with you guys where you were yesterday in that I would have preferred that they had picked Hamilton at 13. But um, I, I just don't know if we paid too much to move up to get Davis or, quite frankly, if they were really moving up to get that receiver with the torn ACL and then, thank God, Detroit picked him instead yeah, was, of us. <laughs> if that was the case, I'm glad, that, I'm glad he wasn't there. Yeah, uh, but what uh, you thought about is what what you mentioned is what I've thought about a lot, which is I kind of liked Hamilton. Davis was fine. I, you know, I like Davis a lot, but that was thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Would one of them have been there? Did they need to make the trade? But we'll never yeah. know. What's your other now, point? Uh, my other point was uh, uh, AJ Brown. I, I actually I'm going to be the contrarian here and say I don't like uh, trading for him, and there's a few reasons for that. Number one. Uh, I think we paid too much for him, both for his salary, uh, which I realize is the world today, but also yeah. in the draft picks. Uh, again, I think, you know, we could have used extra draft picks this year. Uh, number one. Number two, again, going back to I would have preferred going to defense in the first round. And we, you know, uh, I'm with you. Man, guys. you we, needed we a wide receiver needs... somewhere. I, well, you, I, well, I, I can understand your point. Well, hold on. I can understand your point that they paid too much for him. Uh, and the salary is really high, um, yeah. but, but 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 you but need a receiver. Say, well, and that brings me to my third point, Glenn, which is the re- before we pat Howie on the back for this, let's not forget that the reason why we quote needed quote a receiver is because he screwed up the receiver draft two out of the last three drafts. True, but separate point. Yeah, doesn't mean you don't still need a receiver. I didn't you I didn't pat him on the back. I just said they needed one and they got one. Yeah, no, I didn't mean you patting him on the back. Yeah, 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 I just I mean know. generally. You yeah, know, but I hear you, Tom. Yeah, great thanks. stuff. Really good points. Yeah, no, there's no question. They're, they're still they're still mopping up the mess that is Jalen Rager. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, you know how he's still got the mop and bucket out, and he's still trying to clean that one up. I mean, that's <laughs> and I, and I think there is. Uh, I I don't doubt that the Eagles may have had their eye on Williams, you know, and and the Lions knew it, and that's why the Lions jumped up ahead of the Eagles to get yeah. Williams. Um, I, I, I don't know that for a fact, but it could be, but it could be, um, as far as Brown goes, no, if, listen, if you're getting the AJ Brown that we saw as, as a rookie and we saw in his second year, the 2020 season, then he's, he's worth every bit of number 18 and number 101. I mean, he's, he's worth every bit of that. Uh, cause he was, I mean, he's a young receiver who was a pro, already a pro bowler, uh, 2000 yard seasons. Uh, it looked like he was on his way to big, big things. I mean, I certainly thought that. Um, my concern on him, which I expressed on draft night, was what happened with him last year, mm-hmm. which was a clear regression. I mean, his catches were down. His yards were down. His average yards per target were down. Uh, in terms of drops, he was um, – I think he had a, a drop ratio of something like 14%, uh, which put him in the – in the bottom six, uh, in many ways, last season he he was kind of what Nelson Aguilar was for yep. a good portion of his career yep. in Philadelphia, yep. which was a guy who had a lot of promise, had shown you some ability, a lot of ability at times, but was very inconsistent. And that's what AJ Brown was last year. And then came out the stories about the depression and uh, 
pondering suicide. And there were just a lot of things out there that I said, whoa. I, I hear you. The fact that Tennessee was willing to move on from him, to me was, I mean, there was a red flag waving, which okay. I kind of waved on Thursday night. But now, you know, you and I had the reporter from Tennessee on yesterday who has covered AJ, has been part of it, and he, you know, said that he thinks that he's passed all of that, um, that he, he thinks he's a really talented kid, which everyone has seen. And his expectation seemed to be that he was going to come here and play well, and he thought it was a really good deal for the Eagles. Yep. Hey, we're about five minutes late for a break. we got to get out of here uh, and come back. 215-592-9494. By the way, $50 gift card today um, to Shive Vintage Sports to the best caller of the day, as judged by our producer, Dan Wilson. Tom was a good start. I'll say that. Yeah, it was a very good one. I'll be tough on the beat. Good call Check out Shibe Vintage Sports Throwback Apparel at their center city location or at shibesports.com. Uh, as I said, we're going to talk Eagles and NFL draft with Shil Capati of The Athletic. Hint, he's uh, more excited about N'Kobe Dean than he is about Cam Jurgens. We'll talk Sixers Heat with Keith Pompey, and we will take your calls. Ray and Glenn on 94 WIP. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Third and 11. Mordecai, that's Calcaterra. One man to beat. What a move. End zone touchdown. Ray, that is SMU tight end Grant Calcaterra. Well, former SMU tight end Grant Calcaterra. is six-round pick of your Philadelphia Eagles. I'm not getting too excited here, Ray, but I found a highlight. I figure I'm going to use it. Um, that's good. Yeah. Uh, so I just want to spend a minute to go over the picks they had yesterday on day three of the draft. They traded around so much that they really didn't have much going in. You know it was killing Howie. Um, and so he ended up trading one 
was it a fifth for two sixth or would pick one fifty four for pick one eighty one and one ninety eight whatever the math is is irrelevant but um, I'm going to start with the with the second of the two picks which is the guy who uh, you just heard the highlight of SMU tight end Grant Calcaterra uh, had thirty eight receptions four hundred sixty five yards four touchdowns his senior season you just heard one of them um, he is a kid who had. Uh, some trouble, some injury history back in 2019, had a couple of concussions and decided to stop playing football. Ray, stop me if this sounds familiar. He was pursuing becoming a fireman, Mm -hmm. Uh, ended up deciding, you know what, I'm going to go back to football, Um, transferred, ended up playing, as we said, last year. Right. And uh, comes in as, what, the fourth, the fifth option at tight end? They got a lot of tight ends. Yeah, they do. Uh, well, that's assuming that uh, they, you know, they bring Jackson, the the converted quarterback, back. Oh, I hope they do. I know he didn't show much when given the opportunity last year, but I still do find him intriguing. Look good uh, at training camp, you know. I mean, I, I, I and you don't, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying that as a joke. I mean, I'm, uh, but when you were at training camp, if you were out and watch practice, a couple times a day, he would like reach up and snatch one out of the yeah, air and you'd say, great. wow, they might right. really have something here. And then, uh, you know, he, ne- he never games. really got to play, and then he gets hurt, and you don't know where it goes from here. But, you know, I know the coaches. The coaches were high on him for a reason. I mean, on practice, he was – I mean, you saw the possibilities, but, again, keep in mind what he is. I mean, he's a college quarterback who's learning a new position. So their tight end depth chart right now, if I'm correct, starts with Dallas Goddard. Great. Mm-hmm. Then you got Jack Stoll, who I didn't particularly find impressive last year. Tyree Jackson – Ooh, let us not forget J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. Who's now, the, right, who's now being converted into a tight end. Uh, Richard Rodgers is still around, right? Is he still on the roster? I think he is. Uh, and now you got Calcaterra. So, how's this all going to work out? Uh, I think, they would st- I think they're still intrigued by the Jackson possibility. They might be able to really turn him into something. Uh, J.J., I mean, this is kind of his last shot. They've, they've finally given up on the idea of him being an outside receiver, so they're going to – Give him a chance to put on a couple extra pounds, play inside, maybe become the second option at tight end. Um, because he has become – the coaches like his play on special teams. So they're trying to find a way to kind of keep him – justify keeping him on the roster, but even acknowledging at the same time he's no longer a wide receiver. Uh, and Calcaterra is uh, – you know, you just bring him in and see what you got. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's a late-round draft pick for a reason. Uh, he's undersized. I mean, he's uh, he's six three two forty, which is smallish by today's NFL. That's so funny. That's small now. Yeah, well, it is for tight ends in the NFL these days. Um, and he started his career at Oklahoma. Um, had multiple concussions, and uh, and and walked away from football. Just said, you know, it's not worth it. And then found out that sat out a year, missed it. Decided, you know, went to the doctors, got a clearance. Go ahead, want to go play. Uh, Used the transfer portal to go to SMU, got another year of eligibility, uh, and went down to SMU and played pretty good. You know, he's, um, I mean, he's not going to come in here and threaten Dallas Goddard, but, um, I mean, he's a young guy that's got some ability. He's, I mean, he can't block. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, I mean, you have, you, if, you're, if you're bringing him in here and you're going to give, give him any responsibilities that involve blocking, well, then you might as well not even bother because he, he just gets picked up and tossed when he tries to block anybody he tries i'll give him credit for that but but the blocking part of it that ain't what you're signing him for he does he does have some ability he can run a route he can catch the football um he's a real nice receiver who i don't know qualifies as an nfl tight end 
But, okay. you know, he'll come to training camp here, and nobody's challenging Goddard. He's your number one. But you're probably going to have to – you probably want to find two guys behind him that if you go three tight ends that you feel comfortable with lining up, and this kid will compete for one of those spots. All right. The other sixth-round pick was a linebacker out of Kansas named Kyron Johnson, uh, 6'3", 231. Uh, what do you uh, what do you know about him? Also, it seems undersized. Way undersized. Yeah. Uh, but again, this is uh, this, a lot of small guys they uh, drafted. In the well, last and this days. and this gets us back. Other to... Than, I guess the first rounder makes up for all of it. Yeah, yeah. You take yeah. ten pounds for if you add ten pounds to every other guy. Take it from him; it's all it breaks even. And that might not be a bad idea if you take <laughs> if you if you take about thirty pounds off of Jonathan Davis and spread them out around some of these other guys in your defense, you might have a real defense. Um, <laughs> Now, Johnson is, um, and this kind of gets back to Jonathan Gannon, too, is he's a kid that when you see him, look, Kansas, is, Kansas has been a wasteland for football yeah, for a long time. how about that? I mean, right. I mean, yeah, the days of Gale Sayers, <laughs> they're, they're way, way, way in the rearview mirror. Uh, Kansas has really kind of been a joke for football for a while. But it doesn't mean they can't produce a player sometimes. And um, this kid, he's, I mean, he's, he's just barely six feet tall. Um, 235-ish kinds of pounds, uh, and looks it. I mean, he looks really small. Um, I mean, he really, even in college, he looks like an undersized linebacker. Uh, But what he is and what he's got is uh, he's got some quickness and he's got some ability to chase down the quarterback. And so here's another guy who's got, to, to me, a very, very, very specific, translate, limited uh, skill set. And that's he's got some speed and he shows that he can rush the passer. Well, that's as a defensive coordinator, that's what you got to do. You got to recognize that's what he is and draw up a defense and put him on the field when that's all he has to worry about. He he has no chance to play the run in the NFL. I mean, he will get he will get pancaked. Special right, teams guy on the running plays. Um, just just bec- be. with his running with his speed, yeah, with his speed, he's a guy that can get downfield and help you on special teams. Yes. Um, but in terms of getting in, in, into your defense, in terms of playing actual minutes on defense, uh, there, he can help you if you use him and put him in a position where you just put him on the edge and let him go chase down the quarterback. Uh, but uh, he, he's not going to help you at all in many other areas. But that's one thing he can do. Again, coach, here you go. Here's your player. Go coach him. Okay. Let's go to our friend Jack in Santa Barbara. What's happening, dude? Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Pretty, uh, pretty interesting weekend, wouldn't you say? Oh, they they remade a lot of this team in the last couple of days. Well, um, I I wanted to, and I told Dan I wanted to address the topic of mental health uh, because they knew bringing AJ Brown in here what they were going to be dealing with. And I just take my hat off to the Eagles for uh, bringing him in, knowing all that about the young man. And, and I think that the way the Eagles are supportive as a community in these, with these issues is, is commendable. So, it's um, true. I mean, you're right, Jack. I mean, they dealt with it with Brandon Brooks. Um, they dealt with it with Lane Johnson. Lane with, Johnson. Yeah, with real, I mean, with real understanding. I mean, fully, fully recognizing, and it really does bring forward an issue that the fans really never really think about. And I can under, kind of understand it. They always talk about the physical part of football and 
guys playing through injuries and playing through pain, which is real. I mean, that's a big part of the National Football League. But there's, there's, there's an emotional and psychological component to this game with the pressure that these guys feel and the competition that they live with on a daily basis that is something else that guys have to be able to deal with, and some more successfully than others. And you can have guys who are really good players but have trouble coping with that other part of it. And the media pressure is part of it. Social, social media is part of it. And that's obviously what got the better of A.J. Brown last year. Yes. Yeah, so I was thinking that maybe a new start for him with the kind of talent that he has and the framework of guys like Kelsey and mm-hmm. people that are hypersensitive to the other side of football and the community at large in Philadelphia might be just what the doctor ordered for this kid. Jack, I think that's a great point. I really do. And I hadn't thought about it much, but the way you just framed that uh, and the way Ray ex- you know, expounded on uh, the Eagles' support of players in the past who've had issues uh, and how those guys have come back and been terrific players, and um, I-, I think it's a, it's a great point. So I thank you for your contribution this morning. <laughs> oh, you bet, buddy. All right, yeah. pal. Thanks, Jack. Good. Yeah, I mean, a lot of organizations, and it's, it's really part of, I don't like to say this, but kind of the football ethos is, I mean, a lot of the old school football thinking is, you know, suck it up. Yeah. You know, I, you know, yeah suck go it up. Ahead. Go play. You know, right. I don't want to hear your problems. Right. I got problems, too. I mean, that's, listen, I've been around the game long enough. I've heard it plenty. And you got to understand, and one of, one of the things I think that made Vermeil a great coach was he understood that every player was different. Every, every guy was unique. Every guy from, came from different circumstances. Every guy led a different life. And, okay, they walk in the door, they're all your player, okay? And you got your responsibility. You got to draw up the game plan, and you got to put the team on the field. It gives you the best chance to win on Sunday. But there's a lot more to the worlds of all of these guys that you also have to be tuned into, you know, and you, and you can't treat everybody the same. You know, they're not suits on a rack somewhere. You just you know, you gather up an armful, and they're all the same. They're all different. And as a coach, you have to be aware of their differences, and you have to be able to deal with those differences. And some organizations just don't want to do it. They don't want to be bothered. Look, I got enough problems. I, can't, I, can't, I don't want to hear your problems. Just go play. Well, and the, I don't know that that ever applied, but you certainly can't do that today. And, uh, and I think I, I applaud the Eagles for the way they handled the Brandon Brooks situation and got him through his difficult time. And got several seasons out of them, out of him, where he was a not just a good but a great player, and Lane Johnson the same way. And you know, look, AJ Brown went through a really tough stretch in in Houston, in, in Tennessee, no question. He went through a really tough time. Um, I mean, to the point where you're talking about considering suicide. I'd say that's pretty extreme. But he's coming to a team that was willing to listen and help guys with these kinds of problems. And I think that's I think that's I applaud the Eagles for being being able to do that. And have done it successfully with a couple of very good players, and now maybe they can make it a third. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Ray and Glenn, Sunday morning on that. If your day sounds like we need the report ASAP, you deserve Medella. If you've persevered through, you deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame, two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice-cold reward. Modelo, the markable fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 2-1. Swung on, hit high and deep. Right center field. Nemo back, track, wall, it's gone. And Kyle Schwarber crushes one. He has turned this game around in the seventh inning as the Phillies take the lead. It's their first runs of the series. It's two to one on Schwarber's fifth of the year. (laughs) It took a while, Ray. But the Phillies finally got to the Mets pitching uh, and (laughs) win last night. Uh, Four to one. uh, Nice win and an important win because uh, today – they face uh, Scherzer. It's Eflin against Scherzer. And Eflin's right. off to a decent start, but Scherzer's Max Scherzer. So uh, winning yesterday seemed pretty pretty important to me. They get back to 500. And nice job by the bullpen yesterday. To me, that was that was a big story. Four and two-thirds innings, just two hits, no runs. Ray, you know who's looking good? Again, I know we're only, whatever, not even 10% through the uh, I guess we are 10%. We're whatever, one-eighth through the season. Mm-hmm. Sir Anthony. Mm-hmm. It's looking good, and it's really nice to see him back throwing well. And uh, Corey Kniebel is doing a nice job as the closer. So, yes, it is the first day of May, but if if there are two guys out of the bullpen that looks kind of reliable, that's two more than you had last year. Yeah, that's true. And the bullpen, if this team is actually going to hang in and uh, and maybe make the playoffs this year, the bullpen has to do its job. The bullpen has to be better than it's been the last few years. And, you know, I had my doubts in spring training. It looked like the same old thing. Brought in a bunch of new faces of recycled guys. You're hoping that somewhere in there a couple of them will be able to recapture the old magic, I suppose. Uh, and I had my doubts because, you know, we've done, we've done this dance before. Oh, yeah. But to this point, I mean, the bullpen, I mean, they haven't been perfect, but they've had more good days than bad. And if they're able to manage to, that through the course of the season – that's going to be big. I mean, I know they're going to be by the nature of their lineup. I mean, they're going to be spotty. I mean, they're going to they're going to have games where they're going to get shut down. I'm not necessarily going to talk about the ganking no hit, no hit, but but I mean they'll 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 have the occasional dry spell, but not many. I mean, offensively they'll be fine and they'll be one of the leading scoring teams in the league because they have those kind of bats. Um, but I I still wonder about the starting rotation. Uh, and to me, the bullpen is is where it's. You know, I think it's either going to make it or break it. You know, mm-hmm. I think the starting pitching is not terrible, but they need to be supported by a by a by a pretty good bullpen. And last night was an indication of what that can be. Now, you're right about uh, tonight's game. I mean, Scherzer is really good. Three and zero with a one eighty this year, which is not out of character for him. Yeah, and uh, you know, last time out he had ten strikeouts, and I, I I read a stat on him. Look, I know he's good. You know, and I know he's a you know he's a he's a pure power pitcher, and he gets a lot of strikeouts. I understand all that, uh, but the but the game the last game out was the hundred and sixth time in his career that he struck out double digit hitters in a game. Yeah, and that is that is fifth all time in Major League Baseball. Well, the game has changed. Uh, you know what? The, the game has changed in two ways, though. Starting pitchers are going shorter, not him necessarily, and guys are striking out more. But that's still, that is a very impressive stat. 
Hey, by the way, you know who made a, a good play last night? A very good play was one of your corner butchers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alec Bohm, um, bottom of the fourth. I want to make sure I get this right. Mark Canna at bat, and um, he sent a screamer down the left, down the third baseline, and Bohm makes this diving stop. Now, the smartest thing he did was not throw it to first mm-hmm. because there was a guy on third at the time, and he would have thrown it away, and the guy on third would have scored. Probably. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that was definitely going into the into the seats by first base. But he held the ball, and the runner on third ends up having to stay on third and not score, and it was a really good play by Bohm. So when you can give him credit, you give him credit, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, listen, offensively – I think he's. I think he's legit. Yeah, you know, I think. I think he was. Two you know, I know ago. last last year was not a good year for him either in the field or at the plate. Uh, but, and I'm still, <laughs> I still, I still don't think he's a really good defensive player. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that we'll ever really get to the point where he is. But, but I he can swing the bat. I mean, he's he's a guy that he's he's going to hit. And you're seeing that this year. He's he's a good hitter. He, yep. he really is. That I never really questioned that part of it. The defense, I did. Yep. Uh, okay, let us talk to Rick in uh, South Carolina. Is that right? Hey, Rick. That's right. Good morning, fellas. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Hey, uh, I'm pretty happy with the draft. Um, I thought of each of you yesterday when I was uh, watching the picks. Yes, I know um, why you thought of me. I, I can anticipate yes, I, that. Yeah, the, yeah I, actually, it was kind of, if, if I'm not mistaken, the Eagles were – there, there was one team ahead of the Eagles, maybe the fifth round or something, and Buffalo traded Six. up and they took the punt gods. So yes. I thought of you, Glenn. Yes. The Bills, Ray, jump in front of the Eagles mm-hmm. to take the punt god, Matt Ariza, in the sixth round. By the way, he was the third punter taken. He was the third punter taken. I, I don't know why. I It's like I watch, listen, I don't watch punters around the NCAA, so I don't know why he fell behind other punters. Um, it's, but, it, it's, uh, it's because this was the one knock on him. That he's just a flat-out boomer, you know. He's, uh, I mean, oh, he's, okay. like, he's like, he's no, like, he's like, yeah, he's like John Daly playing golf. I mean, he tries to hit everything 500 yards. John Daly is fun to watch, and then has trouble around the greens. And that's, yeah. uh, and these other punters were really good at killing the ball inside the 20. This guy just booms everything. And yes, you know, it's such, it's such a field position game now that yeah. coaches would rather have. They don't want a guy that punts it 50 <laughs> yards into the end zone for a touchback. They would rather have a guy that kills it at the 15. I get it. Uh, but anyway, he does go to the Bills where uh, my dad and I will have some fun watching him. Uh, what was uh, what was your other thought? Uh, so, so two more things. The first one, uh, Ray, I thought of you. Uh, I, I always uh, like to look at the undrafted free agents, and that you know that the action is. Uh, happens pretty fast after the draft ends and i saw a player that you have mentioned uh you know during your analysis the past few weeks the quarterback out of brown ej perry i saw where the eagles got him as well as another quarterback carson strong out of so Nevada. yep the, the, do us a favor just make your other point and then we will get into that into both of those okay yeah okay my last point is um we all would like to see the eagle sign uh, the honey badger uh, in case that doesn't work out, I was wondering what your thoughts were. Another free agent is Landon Collins, seventh year out of Alabama. I'll I'll take the air and throw up the air. Thank you. All right, thanks. Thanks for the call. Okay. Uh, yeah, I haven't heard much about Collins. I haven't heard much talk about him. Um, to me, to, to me, it, it's it's if you're going free agent, you're going to spend that kind of money. I I, I would rather have Matthew. I really would. Um, let me. Um, just before we get off the subject of safety, since we're talking about the safety position, 
uh, and we are talking about undrafted free agents. Um, there's a guy that's um, – the Eagles signed a couple of undrafted cornerbacks that we can talk about a little later. Yeah. Uh, but they, they signed one safety uh, as an undrafted free agent, a kid named Reed Blankenship uh, from Middle Tennessee State, who um, – keep your eye on him. I'm, yeah. That's all I'm saying. I'm, I'm not promising. I'm not, you know, I'm not yeah, promising anything. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, Middle Tennessee State is a school that hasn't produced a drafted player. I mean, it's not exactly a, a football factory down there. But the last player that they had out of Middle Tennessee State that was actually drafted was a safety named Kevin Baird, who came to the NFL and turned into a really good player, like a Pro Bowl player. Uh, and the people down that way uh, – Compare Reed Blankenship to him. Uh, and if you look at what he did while he was in school, uh, the tackles, uh, the turnovers forced, the interceptions, uh, all conference selections. I mean, I know what that level of football is, and I know it's a big jump from there to the NFL. Uh, but if you just look at a player's profile, Blankenship's profile really does match up closely with Kevin Baird, who came out of the same school, at, played the same position, and came to the NFL and had some success. So, you know, I just just I know he's an undrafted free agent, way off most people's radar. But he might be he might be a name to just sort of file away for future reference. All right, I like it, and we will get into uh, all those others because there's some very interesting names, including the quarterbacks. Uh, I don't want to give it short shrift. Coming up in the next segment, we're going to talk to Keith Pompey of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Ray, I don't want to I don't want to give short shrift to this. Also, the Sixers. Open a second-round playoff series tomorrow in Miami against the Heat. Sixers not going in in ideal circumstances, of course, given the Embiid injury, but we will see what Keith has to say about that. And we'll take your calls, 215-592-9494. Ray Dinger, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. And it is time for me to tell you about, well, are you tired of dealing with your old drafty windows and doors in the house? Maybe it's time you finally go Guida. The great people at Guida Door and Window will help make your window and door replacement project more affordable with their buy one, get one half off sale. For every door or window you buy, you get a second one at 50% off. And you can mix and match the savings to suit your own needs. So you buy an entry door, you get half off a storm door. Buy a patio door, you get 50% off a window. If you need to replace all the windows and doors in your house, you save 50% on half your project. The more you need, the more you save. Plus, Guida is making it easier for you to afford your project with no money down and interest-free financing for up to 18 months. Act Now offers for a limited time only. Restrictions apply. For full details, call Guida today. Schedule a free, no-obligation in-home estimate at 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Well, we are one day away from the opening of the second round. Sixers, Miami Heat in Miami. Um, not the ideal situation for your Philadelphia 76ers. Keith Pompey of the Philadelphia Inquirer joins us. You can follow him on, on Twitter at Pompey on Sixers. And Keith, I guess my first question and the obvious one is the latest. What do we know, uh, if anything new about Joel Embiid? And is there optimism that we will see him back at some point in this round? I mean, there is some optimism that um, he will come back, you know, this round. I, I think it's, you know, he has to go through the concussion protocol. Now, I, I will say that the orbital bone is the more serious injury, but um, it's one of those things where he doesn't have the – it doesn't require surgery. So, again, it goes to the pain threshold again, and he could 
you know, play, play with, well, he would have to play with a mask. And, you know, depending on how he feels, you know, he can come back. I mean, I think right now it is a matter of, you know, getting through the concussion protocol, which takes a couple of steps, like four days within those steps. And the thing is, you know, if, if you don't pass one day, then you got to redo it. So um, there is some optimism that he could return um, this series. Keith, uh, how would you compare this this injury to the one he suffered a couple years ago when, when he collided with Markel Fultz? And then it was, it was in the postseason, and, you know, he had to wear the mask, and he came back, and we, we all saw that. Um, how would you compare? Is, is this a more serious injury to the doctor's feel? No, because, because that injury, if you remember, it was one of those things where, um, you know, he had it, he went down, and then next, you know, three days later he had to get surgery. The fact that this one they're saying he doesn't have to get surgery, that it can, you know, it can heal on his own, um, lets you know that, you know, it's, it's not as severe. Um, the problem is that the timing is, is, is extremely bad because, you know, it is occurring, you know, right as, you know, they're about to play in the Eastern Conference semifinals. So that's the bad part. But in regards to um, severity of it, you know, I would have to say that the first one was uh, more severe. The mask is something that I recall last time he found very annoying. Um, I just remember mm-hmm. kind of him sitting on the bench and taking it off and kind of growling at it and so on. And, you know, he didn't wear it for a long period of time. As Ray said, it was the postseason, so I don't know they got comfortable with it. And, um, listen, the guy's already dealing with the thumb injury, right? And now he's got the mask. It um, Am I correct in that he found it very distracting to his game last time? Yeah, he did, and, and people forget. Was, I, I, I forget which game it was, but there there was a game where he just took the thing off and threw it. Yeah, that, yes. I remember that. I'm done with it. I'm yeah. done yeah. with this. I'm done with this. And then the, I think the final game, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but I think he may have just taken it off completely. Yeah, I think you know, he ditched so, it. Right? Uh, yeah, he ditched it. So, you know, yeah, it, it, it's one of those things where, um, you know, it, it, it kind of obstructs your vision, so to speak. And also, it's hot. It gets and it's cumbersome. Um, you know, the, the thing is, you would think that that's been a couple of years ago. And you look at how that mask was compared to uh, previous masks that other people wore. And I'm pretty sure that uh, I hope for his case, case that they'll come up with a mask that will be more to his liking. Well, in the short term, because I, I think I think, and they're sort of indicating there is a chance that if the series extends, that he can come back. But in the short term. What do they do? I mean, how do they make up for losing a guy who's, you know, certainly their MVP and arguably the league MVP? You know, yesterday at practice, and we're waiting to get into practice today, but yesterday at practice, you know, Doc Rivers basically said, you know, we're going to have a James Harden dominant offense. And, uh, you know, when when I heard that, you know, I was like, oh, okay, all right, I I understand it. But, you know, I, I would like for him to be aggressive like he was last game. I just feel, you know, if, if you're going to do a James Harden dominant, I just hope it's not, you know, what it was like in Houston, you know, where people standing around watching them. Because I, I feel like when you have, uh, you know, Tobias is playing well, you have Tyrese Maxey playing well, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, I think you're going to lose a lot when you're you're, you're trying to do one on five and you have two capable scores um, beside them. Couldn't agree more. And those games were hard and just dribble, 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 and then 
waits until three seconds left in the clock to shoot it or just there. It's insufferable. It's, it, I can't watch it. Um, uh, Keith Pompey is our guest for the Philadelphia Inquirer. He will be uh, covering Sixers heat tomorrow. Doc Rivers uh, also, uh, when you talked to him yesterday, didn't really give a lot of detail as to what he plans to do at center in Embiid's absence. Uh, kind of suggests that he's going to fill it by committee. Uh, what do you think is the the wise way to handle that position? You know, it's one thing that he also said. He said that you know we re- they realized that Paul Reed plays better with the starters, right? Oh, well, if, well, it's if nice of Doc to finally give Paul Reed a you know a bone there. <laughs> but but if you feel that way, I, I feel like you know this is just my opinion. I feel like he would be the best person to start anyway because. You know, now you can go Paul Millsap if you like, right? But I feel like, you know, they, they basically decided that Paul Reed was going to be the backup center against smaller lineups, right? And I feel like when when um, Miami starts the game, they tend to go with a smaller lineup with Bam. His backup is a bigger guy. So I think that it could be one of those things where you have, you know, Paul Reed starting the game and then DeAndre Jordan comes in you know, when they go with the bigger guy. Um, because I know he said uh, center by committee, but it's not like they were run- some of these guys were playing. You know, as, as much as we like Charles Bassey and this and that, as much as he excelled in uh, the, the G League this season, there was a time when he had to go to the G League just to get minutes. Yep. So, in my opinion, when you, you, you say all of a sudden this guy has been sitting – um, with an injury, and then all of a sudden we're just going to throw him in there. You know, I think that puts a lot of pressure on him. And I think the two guys, now again, Paul Millsap, he could give you a couple minutes. You know, he's a veteran. He can do certain things. But I, I, I think if it was me, and I think the, based off what they're saying, that we'll see, um, and I could be wrong, but, but we'll see Paul Reed starting, and we'll see DeAndre Jordan coming in when they go with that big lineup. Yeah, I, I... – that's kind of what I would expect, too. Keith, um, you know, the, the Heat are dealing with some injury issues of their own, probably not as, mm-hmm. not, not as severe, but, I mean, you know, Jimmy Butler um, has, has the, an inflamed knee. Uh, he hasn't been practicing much. Uh, and Kyle Lowry has been playing with a hamstring injury. Now, I fully expect him to play, but, um, I mean, from what you're hearing from Miami, how limited are they going to be, if at all? You know, it's one of those things where, you know, I've been trying to read up and, and do as much as I can. And, and it's one of those things where Jimmy saying, oh, I got one more day of treatment. I'm going to be ready to go. Now, the thing about Kyle, you know, uh, I haven't seen the injury report yet. But when that's a hamstring, I think you have to be 100% careful with that one. You know, now who knows? Maybe they got him doing some things, running it. But I would hate for him or any player to come back a little bit too soon. I know Sixers fans are like, yo, come back too soon, right? But 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 I would hate for that guy to get injured. Now, the thing about Kyle, at first I, was, I kept saying to myself, like, hey, it, Kyle Lowry not playing is going to be a huge disadvantage for the Miami Heat. And then I kept thinking about this guy, Gabe Vincent, who's like the backup point guard for them, who has made a career of, having great games against the Sixers. So, you know, while Kyle um, may be a little bit limited, I think the 76ers need to find a way to (laughs) limit this guy, Gabe Vincent, 
and I do expect Jimmy Butler to play just because it's the 76ers. You know, it's the Eastern Conference semifinals, and I feel like, you know, he's going to be out there motivated to play against his former team. Oh, I have no doubt that he's going to be great. Um, your story today, uh, Doc Rivers yesterday got a, a little testy again. Uh, I'm not sure if he uh, told you to go back and look at the tape or suggested it's a question you, that nobody would ask Pop or whatever, but um, he he certainly drew criticism for having Embiid and other starters in the game Thursday night, Sixers up 29 points with four minutes to go, which is when Embiid caught the elbow in the eye, and that was that. And when Doc was asked about it, he said, teams keep their starters in. What are you talking about? How dare you ask me? This just seems to be a pattern where anytime you guys ask him anything that is a probing question, he just gets defensive and surly. I guess I'm not really asking you a question there so much as I'm stating an opinion and asking, <laughs> and, and asking you if, if, if I'm right, if he has, if Doc is correct to get surly like that, if it was a bad idea to have Embiid, what's your, what's your position on this thing? Yeah, it, it seemed like one of those things where he was, he knew the question was coming, you know, sure. and and the way it was asked. Uh, um, so yeah, I, I think it was. I, I think now here's the thing with that, and you guys, you know, I, I respect both of you guys. You guys are professionals, and you guys have been in locker rooms way longer than I have, and and you know, you know what it's like. So you don't really get upset as much as people think when a coach snaps back, right? Because you know you have to ask the question, sure. and you know that sometimes the they're going to get upset. It's part of the gig. But I, I think that in, in yesterday, in example, I felt like the delivery, the way it came out, was worse than um, than what it was actually said. You, you know what I mean? Like I, I feel like if he would have said, "Well, you know, this is the playoffs, and you know, you look at our our history. I mean, we've blown an 18 point lead in late." and lost the game last year, and then the next game we blew a 26-point lead. I just wanted to put the nail in the coffin. And then right after that, you know, I was taking Joel out. It's unfortunate that he got injured the next play, but you guys know this team and how we blow leads. And I just wanted to do it right then and there and take him out. But I think the way that it came out with the delivery, you know, made it worse than, um, <laughs> than what it was, if that makes sense to you. No, it makes it makes perfect sense. Anybody that's been in that situation, anybody that's been in this business any length of time, you, you know, everybody knows when he sat down behind the microphone, he knew that was going to be asked and it had to be asked. Yep. Uh, and then it's yep. all just a matter about how you handle it. But, I, you know, I think Doc is, you know, he's sensitive to that. But I think the answer that you just provided probably would have been that would have been the best answer because everybody kind of knew the situation. You know, I'm I'm just wondering, Keith, has there been. Any follow? I mean, this is after the fact. It's not going to change anything. But has anybody talked about Siakam and and the the nature of that play? And was it deliberate? Was it dirty? Do you think there's going to be any? Is he subject to a fine, perhaps, as a result? Is there going to be any fallout, or is everybody just moving on? You know, it, it, that's a great question too. You know, to, to ask because initially everyone was saying how dirty it was, right? But then when you if you if you think back the entire series. Everyone kept saying when he goes up for a layup, he always leads with the elbow, high elbow towards people's face, right? Right. That's just his defense mechanism, I guess, going there. So when you when you say, like, okay, he's been doing this all series, 
was it really a bad – I mean, was it really a cheap shot, or is this just how this guy plays? Because he did it the entire series, and the Sixers have been complaining about it for the most part the in, in, entire series. And then afterwards, you know, when you see the two guys and they're, like, hugging and embracing, you know, it, it's kind of like, oh, okay. But uh, to be honest with you, for it to happen the way it did at that time when Joel's doing the airplane, the crowd's booing, and then typically it's like, hey, you say to someone, take this guy out, and then he gets, you know, he, <laughs> he gets whacked in the in the head. So you would typically assume that it was a dirty play. But, again, he was doing this throughout the series. When he goes in for a layup, he creates space by with a high elbow towards other people's face. All right, let's get your prediction for the series. Can the short man Sixers pull this thing out? I think it's going to be tough. I, I do. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, when we look at Joel, um, you look at the 76ers, you know, typically Joel has to play at a Hall of Fame type level, you know, for them to win series. And I feel the fact that he's not going to be there. You know, I know they're saying like at least one game, but. I, I would be shocked if he returned for game two. Um, if they go down 2-0, I, I think it could be tough for the 76ers. I do. Um, you know, I think that they're – I don't think that they're going to get swept like some people think. I think they're going to put in a fight and they're going to play well. But I, I just don't see um, them winning a series w- w- without Joel Embiid, especially if he's hampered. Because not only is it going to be the fate, now it's is also we forget about the thumb. Yeah, that's so old it, news yeah, now. Two yeah. Elements. yeah, it's old news, <laughs> but right. it's two different elements. It happened a week ago, but it's old yep. news. Yep. But yeah, so that's my that that's my little concerns with that. I hear you. Well, here's hoping from our perspective it turns out otherwise, and we uh, get to talk to you uh, right before the Eastern Conference Finals. Keith Pompey, always a pleasure. Follow him on Twitter, Pompey on Sixers. Uh, see if you can enjoy South Beach nonetheless. I'll try if I'm not sleeping. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, yeah. Take care. Thanks a lot. All there right, Keith. Thank you. Yeah, it's going to be tough. We'll see. Yeah. It's going it to be tough beforehand. Now it's, you know, it's the longest of long shots. Yeah. I was, go- I was going to ask you, I wonder, uh, and this probably would have been an unfair question, but to project like the box score line for Harden. I mean, uh, what, what do they need from him? I know, uh, I, I know, Do- I know Doc. 15 for 29. <laughs> Uh, four for ten on three-point shots. Uh, getting to the line a ton. Uh, Twelve assists. Yeah, that, you, you get that, you could win. What's what? Okay, your what's what's your turnover ratio? What's an acceptable turn assist to turnover ratio? Five turnovers okay. max, which is uh, it's going to be hard to achieve. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's going to be hard to achieve. That's you know that's the thing about um, the. The Heat is that they're a team that can force a lot of turnovers. And the, oh, yeah. when the Sixers got in trouble in the last series was when they were turning the ball over and couldn't get back in transition. And yep. you know, it, but Doc, hey, listen, one thing about Doc, I mean, he he didn't hedge on this one. I mean, he put this one right on on Harden's shoulders. You know, he said, "We're going to play James Harden ball now." And uh, okay, but I agree with you and Keith that that's not necessarily the wisest move. Me either. Me either. And I, I you know, maybe he's just, you know, I think he knows he needs hey, a big turn. Co- everybody with that one. Well, no, I think what he's maybe trying to do, I mean, and I've seen coaches do this in every sport a lot, is I think he knows he needs a big series from Maxi. You know, I think he knows that he needs a big series from the kid. He knows what, mm-hmm. what he can give this team in terms of offense. 
Uh, but I think he also is sensitive to the fact that the kid is still very early in his career. Uh, and so he doesn't want to put any more pressure on him. Seems to me that Maxie doesn't bo- – pressure doesn't seem to bother him. You know, he looks like the kind of kid that can handle it, but I think the coach is probably, you know, being a little cautious about not trying to put too much on him at this point. But from what I've seen of Maxie so far, he doesn't seem intimidated or awed or uncomfortable playing in the postseason no, at all. If anything, he it. seems to thrive on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We shall hope. Let's talk to D. Uh, wants to talk about the the roster, the Eagles roster moving forward. What do you got, D? Hey, good morning, Glenn and Ray. Hey, yeah. I'll make uh, three points real quick. Um, I listened to something that Ray said yesterday, and um, it really made me think, and I agree with you 100%. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what you do in college football once you get to the NFL. The NFL is the NFL. Yep. But when you bring in guys that's high character and come from winning programs, it makes a difference. You know, it just does because these guys know how to win. They're used to the attention. They're used to the pressure. And they win. I mean, you kind of look at a lot of people say, well, look at the Dallas Cowboys roster over the past 10, 15 years. Really talented guys. Really talented team. Didn't know how to win. Yep. So I think that's important, Ray. I agree with you. It's a very, um, it's, I think it's, it's a very good example. I mean, you look at the Cowboys roster all these years, uh, and people look at it and say, boy, that's a talented team. That's the most talented team in that division. That's a team that's going to challenge. You look at the sheer talent on the, on paper, that's a team that's going to challenge to go to a Super Bowl. They don't, you know, and there's a reason. Yeah, I'm not denying the talent. I mean, they've got talent there, but there's a component to putting, building a winning team and the knowing how to win and knowing how to function as a team and knowing that winning is important, not just how, not just how important you are, not how much money you make, not how much the coach caters to you, not how much the game plan is built around you, but understanding that it's a team game and we're all in this together, and that's the essence of knowing how to win. And if guys have grown up doing that through high school, through college, by the time they get to the NFL, if you have 40 or 50 of those guys in your locker room, then it creates the culture of winning. And that's you know, and I really do think that the Eagles are mindful of that. They did it last year, bringing the two kids in from Alabama who contributed right away. And I really love the idea that they went back to the national champions this year and got Davis and Dean. Right, exactly, Ray. Uh, great point. And, and I think we just need to watch uh, for that in the future as a fan base. Uh, to my second point, you know we got incumbents. I mean, no one's coming in here taking Jason Kelsey's spot, Darius Slay's spot, you know, Lane Johnson, things of that nature. But I really think moving forward, we, we need to get some. We need to get some competition. We need to put some guys on notice, like, hey, there, there are no incumbents around there. We're going to put the best eleven out in the field. And let guys fight it out. I want to see this camp. I think there's going to be some angry linebackers running around in this camp. And hey, put put, put the best guys out there. Put Zach McPherson out there. You drafted the guy. Let's let's see if he can play. So I would like to see some more competition. And uh, I know you guys are going to cover this a little late, later on. A third point, but I really like the undrafted uh, free agent list. Um, I really would like Carlson Strong, and not only Carson Strong, but I like the tight end and receiver he had out there in Nevada. But this kid from Utah, guys. Hey, uh, you know, I appreciate Greg Ward and I understand Jalen Rager, first round pick, but yeah. you guys might need to get you guys might need to get a real to real quick. Uh, I tell you what, two things. First of all, that was a great call. I I do not have a vote on this, but if I were Dan Wilson, I would consider that as mm-hmm. a nominee for best call of the day. I agree. And uh, second, I I'm, I keep saying we're going to talk about the undrafted uh, free agents that they signed. Let's do that as soon as we get back. We'll dive into that because there was. More some names more recognizable than usual in that group, uh, and some interesting characters. So we will discuss that. And we have open lines right now: two one five 
592-9494. He's Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Mack now, 94 WIP. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now, 94 WIP, 215-592-9494. All right. <clears throat> Ray, the uh, the draft came and went uh, just a big couple of days for the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, we barely talked today about the, the biggest moves, which was drafting huge Jordan Davis in the first round and then making a uh, shocking and exciting trade for A.J. Brown shortly after that. Um, but even as the draft ended, the Eagles made some interesting moves, and I want to start with this, which is they added two names to the quarterback room. Um, one guy who we had seen projected as third, fourth-round pick in Carson Strong uh, out of Nevada, right? Correct. And then um, – Adding a kid from Brown, E.J. Perry, a quarterback that only days ago Ray Dinger said, this is a sleeper. Mm -hmm. This is going to be the best Ivy League quarterback since Jeff Kemp. Uh, No, I think I said Ryan Fitzpatrick. Oh, well, yeah, Ryan Fitzpatrick's better than Jeff Kemp. That's true. I think the Eagles are the only NFL team that Ryan Fitzpatrick hasn't played for. (laughs) No, but he beat him enough. <laughs> he beat him enough. Yeah, true. He th- every time they played him, he thrashed him. Remember that game against the Dolphins? When the Dolphins were like 0-7 and the Eagles were flying high, and then it's it just, man, that turned around that bad year. Yeah, anyway. it did. Okay. Uh, so let's talk about those guys because, those listen, anytime it's a quarterback, it's interesting. And I want to start with your guy, E.J. Perry out of Brown. Yep. Uh, sleeper. Why? What's what, what do we What do we have here? Uh, I just like him. I mean, I had heard good things about him. Uh, you don't get to see Brown very much. Uh, but I was intrigued enough that when I saw that he was selected to play in the East-West Shrine game after the season, mm, that kind of piqued my interest because you don't see a whole lot of Ivy League quarterbacks playing in postseason bowl games. So I watched, and I said, you know what? This guy's really good. <laughs> uh, he doesn't have the biggest arm. Um but uh, he, uh, he's very accurate, very accurate throwing between the numbers. I mean, that, that, that to me, as a scouting report, that would be kind of what I would turn in, that and throwing the ball between the numbers, numbers work in the middle of the field, he's real smart and real accurate with the ball. Where he has problems is throwing from the numbers to the sideline, that deep out kind of route, which really does require a strong arm. And some guys can do it and some guys can't. That's not his strength. Um, but when he's working in the middle of the field, he's really good. Um, he's got really good feet. He moves around the pocket well. He feels pressure, uh, can extend the play, can get outside, throws well on the run. Uh, and I really liked him. And, in fact, in the East-West Shrine game, he came in um, and played a half and, like, threw for 250 yards, three touchdowns, was the MVP. Mm. So it sort of validated what I had heard about him is that, you know, this guy, he has a chance. You know, if he gets into the right situation, I'm not saying he's going to come in and be rookie of the year or even start. But he's a guy that has enough skill that he can make an NFL roster. So, yeah, I put him – I kind of like the idea of sneaking a quarterback into my sleepers every year because generally quarterbacks, by definition, aren't sleepers. Oh, this but, year they were the opposite. Yeah, exactly. This year yeah. everybody thought they were going to go high and they didn't go. Yeah, I mean, the tendency is – and not just for fans, but teams teams alike – is they tend to overrate the quarterback. Uh, and so when I got the chance to put a quarterback into my five sleepers – I couldn't resist the idea of putting an Ivy Leaguer in there. So that's, that's why I went with A.J. Perry. But I honestly think, and I, was, I sort of got a little chuckle when the Eagles 
when I got saw the list of of undrafted free agents that they signed, and that AJ Perry was one of them, I thought, yeah, wow, I okay, too. let's get him, let's get him into the Novacare complex and see what he can do. You understand, he will forever be known as Ray's guy. <laughs> Every fan who listens to the show and football fans do, and people who follow your sleepers and people do. This guy's going to learn sooner or later, like, what, I'm Ray's guy? What does that mean? <laughs> uh, and then the second one, Carson Strong, is somebody who was projected to go much higher. And, again, he falls out of the draft. And you said it's because of a knee. It's his knee. Yeah. Um, I, will tell you, I will tell you I gave him a third-round grade. Uh, I thought that uh, in terms of his performance, in terms of the career, what I saw him do at Nevada – um, I gave him a grade of a third-round player. And that's about where I thought he was going to go. Um, but the, the way the quarterbacks fell after Pickett, after Kenny Pickett goes in the first round, I mean, it, it was like the quarterbacks disappeared. I mean, and it was, it was like they forgot about lowest them. draft, Fewest quarterbacks drafted, uh, lowest f- f- quarterback drafted in the first round since, whatever, 1979 or something yeah. like that. And um, – Second quarterback wasn't drafted until until what number eighty something. So, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean we we said every, we we said every year that teams overdraft quarterbacks just because they're quarterbacks, and that's generally true. Um, but we also said coming into this year, this was not a great crop of quarterbacks. So you know we thought that that would be reflected somewhat in the drafting. Um, but the fact that okay, it's Pickett, and then everybody else just goes away. That I that I didn't expect. Um, but Carson. I will tell you this about Carson Strong. Uh, he's 6'4", he's 225 pounds. He fits the mold of what you think an NFL quarterback should look like. Um, I, I will tell you in my grading, I thought, I, I thought he had the best arm. Just talking about the arm now. I thought he had the best arm of any quarterback in the class. So if I could put these two guys together and take his arm and then take Perry's uh, short ability to throw between the numbers, mm-hmm. and I guess Perry's health. Yeah, I could combine these two into one really good quarterback. Yeah, Carson Strong can make all the throws right, that Perry size. can't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's right. basically what you got. But the problem with him is, and listen, he completed seventy percent of his passes two years in a row. Okay, now you can say what you want about Nevada and the level of competition and everything, but he had back-to-back seventy percent completion years. I mean, uh-huh. he can. He can rip it. I mean, he can throw it. He can throw it accurately at all levels. The problem with him is, um, is his knee. Uh, yeah. he's had, he had a knee injury that started when he was in high school, caused him to miss his entire senior season uh, in high school, didn't play at all, uh, and then went, to, then went to Nevada, and the knee injury recurred and recurred. Uh, and I think what happened is, look, I'm sure every team that was looking at quarterbacks brought him in uh, and had their doctors check him out. And I have to think that the medical reports on the knee were not good. Yeah, I feel for, for the kid. I for do. him, for him, not for somebody not to invest a sixth or seventh round draft pick in him. The medicals must have been really bad. Yeah, that's got to be a tough process for him. So as we stand right now, of course, uh, as the Eagles, uh, you know, approach uh, the new season, uh, your starting quarterback. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm losing my losing my voice. Is Jalen Hurts? Uh, Gardner Minshew is a very capable backup. I like uh, Gardner Minshew as a backup. Uh, should Reed Stinnett uh, not be taking any long-term leases here? Uh, I would think not. Okay. So one of these two rookies will probably be your uh, developmental guy. I would think. Um, I mean, the only uh, – I mean, this is far-fetched, but what the heck. Um, uh, if, if Strong and Perry come in uh, and – 
really look good, which, you know, is possible. I mean, these are two guys that have got some talent. I mean, these are two guys that have got some talent. I mean, they're both undrafted free agents for a reason, but they're, they're, not, they're, not, they're not without ability. And if they come in and the coaches really like them, um, you know, maybe Gardner Minshew becomes a trade chip for you. You know, and uh, yeah, maybe – and you could – listen, you could get something for Gardner Minshew. Oh, I mean, no doubt. I mean, you could trade him to somebody, and you could probably get back certainly a five, maybe a four. Uh, and we know how he loves to do that. Yeah. So I think that, you know, I mean, that's – I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but depending on what these two kids show you when they come in, you know, you may entertain that because they're going to get calls about Minshew. There are teams that are out there that will be willing to give you something for Minshew, but you got to feel pretty comfortable about the two kids you got in camp before you're yeah, willing to if, do if that. I'm, if I'm a team, and I didn't ask you this question specifically, and I meant to, if I'm a team that thinks I can win the division, and I'm a team that thinks I can win a playoff game or two, whatever, I think – I'm going to, you know, as Howie said, will be better than last year. Uh, I need a veteran backup. I need a backup. I can't, I can't, my quarterback gets hurt. I can't turn it over to a rookie. What if he gets hurt at, you know, the third game of, of the season? I'm turning it over to a, a kid who's an undrafted free agent. I, I need Minshew. No, what you said, it makes perfect sense. And that's the, and that's the 95% likelihood is what, is what you just laid out. I mean, the Eagles are going into this year. Look, this isn't a great division. It really isn't. I mean, right. the, Cow- the Cowboys are the Cowboys. You know, they're, you know, they're, they're going to – I mean, they've got good players, but, you know, I don't think they're particularly well coached. It's always- and, you know, and, and you get the feeling that they're always going to underachieve. Yep. You know, and the Giants look like they've got some people in the front office now that know what they're doing, uh, and they had a pretty good draft. Uh, they kind of move in, in the right direction, but they're not great. And Washington, to me, they're a mess, and, they, and I thought they had a terrible draft. So, I mean, this, you know, so you look at the NFC East right now, and I'm not saying that the Eagles are world beaters, but right now, if, if you're looking at this division, they got a shot. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if, if you're thinking that, you probably do want to have your backup quarterback be a veteran. But I'm just telling you that these two, these two kids, as undrafted free agents, are coming in here with a chance to show you something. It'll be nice if the uh, tough decision is which one of these two kids do we keep and who do we try to move for a late-round pick? Yeah, well, Strong can. Strong is absolutely a player. He's absolutely got you know ability. What? Strong, but, go, but, the, strong but his whole thing is his knee. It's his whole thing is yeah, his yeah, knee. Yeah, but that's the, that's you know. So maybe that plays to your advantage. Not that you want him to be hurt, but you're able to kind of say, he's not ready to play. We're gonna we're gonna put him on development for a year, mm-hmm. the IR for a year. Yeah, you know, we'll carry the other kid. Maybe you get to carry both that way. Um, okay, among the others uh, that they signed, there are some names that uh, people are excited about. They signed three corners and a safety. Uh, Joshua Job out of Alabama, that's somewhat of a familiar name. Mario Goodrich, cornerback out of Clemson, and Josh Blackwell from the football factory of Duke. And a uh, you mentioned the safety, Reed Blankenship. Yeah. Uh, for a team that desperately needs help in the secondary, any of these guys impress you? No, well, I, I mentioned Blankenship. I mean, mm-hmm. he's got some credentials. Um, he had a he had a really bad uh, leg. He had a broken leg uh, in 2019. Boy, that, they, Howie took a lot of <laughs> took a lot of injured guys. Uh, didn't he? Uh, yeah, but that's you know generally that's what you're going to get as your undrafted free agents. Yeah. There's a reason why they're an undrafted free agent. But Blankenship uh, had a very very good career at a small, admittedly at a small school. Um, but I think as a guy that can come in here and be be a be competitive. Now, the the cornerbacks, the one I think is probably the most interesting. I think the Duke kid is a real long shot, uh, and the Alabama kid, I think uh, Job is kind of he's a very specific kind of player. I think he's he's a, he's a zone player. I I just don't know that he's got a whole lot of versatility. But you know, they signed Mario Goodrich, 
for $217,000. Yeah, guaranteed, right. Yeah, which is a lot. I mean, I can't remember if the Eagles have ever signed an undrafted free agent for that kind of money. That's really unusual. So then they ask you the question, well, why? You know, why this guy? Well, two things. Number one, you need a corner. And they, even though for everything that Howie says about we're good, you know, we're better than we were, we're, we're happy with the guys back there. No, they, they it, once the door is closed and the press goes away, the guys in the building, they know they need, they need help. And so I think they have just the, the money part of it, the checkbook part of it, tells me that they, that they think Mario Goodrich could be that guy. Okay, uh, 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 and that we'll uh, what does Jody say in this? In this, uh, we'll see. We'll see we what we will see. Right. He's he's a he's a good he's a good player. I wouldn't say that. Obviously, if he's an undrafted free agent, he's not a great player, but he's a pretty good player who played at Clemson. Um, has the qualities you would like. I mean, he was the team captain, all that kind of stuff. And that's one of the things you see with a lot of the Eagles picks. I mean, a lot of these guys were team captain, good leadership, that kind of stuff. Good. I like that. I like that part of it. Um, his problem is he's he's not the fastest guy in the world. You know, he's a four-five-two guy in a league where four-three and sometimes four-two is the norm among receivers. Uh, and if he gets beat on a play, he ain't catching up. Okay, if a guy beats him and turns him, if a guy double moves him and gets behind him, he, he's not going. He doesn't have that kind of catch-up speed. But he's uh, he's good physical player. Uh, he's very good on the jam. He can jab guys at the line of scrimmage. He can do all that stuff. He can tackle. Um, I mean, all of that stuff. The one the one concern with him, and that's why he was an undrafted free agent, is is he fast enough? But the Eagles felt good enough about him that they paid him a fair amount of money to get him here. And I think he's going to have I think he's going to have a real shot at winning that other corner spot. All right, uh, a couple other names. Do these mean anything to you? Anybody here have a shot? They took a running back out of Oklahoma, Kennedy Brooks, wide receiver from Utah, Britton Covey. Like that name. Um, he's, he's most he's I you know he's little. I mean he's tiny. He's five eight and like one hundred and sixty five pounds. Uh, but he's um, I don't know. I guess he could. He's a guy you're probably going to try as a slot receiver because that's the only thing he could project at in the NFL. Um, but the one thing he's really good, the one skill he really does have, and this could wind up getting him on the roster, he's a really good punt returner. And this team right now, you know, they don't really have one. I mean, their, ret- their return game has been nowhere now for a couple Terrible. of years. Not that, you know what, it's such a less important part of the game than it was, but you still need a guy. I got you. Sure. Yeah, and that's and that's what this kid offers. I don't really think they're thinking about him as a receiver because they got it, got a fair amount of receivers now. Um, but I mean, this kid was a very good punt returner at Utah, so I think that's kind of what they're looking for. Uh, in other news, uh, Howie was asked about uh, potentially trading trading Jalen Rager, and he said Jalen Rager is a Philadelphia Eagle. He's going to be here. We want him. I'm sorry. We want to have good players in that room. We want to have good players on that team. So why does he want Rager? Excuse me. <laughs> He's worked tremendously hard to be in shape. I don't anticipate anything changing. And to me, this is one of those uh, similar answers when he was asked about the honey badger and said we like our safeties better than other people. It's like it's true until the moment it's not true. Right, right. And, uh, you know, whether – and listen, this has been a banner weekend for Howie. I mean, give them full credit. I mean, if you look around the national media, everybody's issuing their report cards today. And everywhere you look, the Eagles are getting an A. And they should. I mean, if, I, if you asked me to grade them right now, I, I would give them an A, too. Wow. Uh, I, think that the, I think that this was a really good draft. But, you know, Howie is, st- Howie is still doing what general managers tend to do, which is hanging on to his mistakes. 
Jalen Rager yeah. was Jalen Rager was a mistake. Yeah. He was a mistake. JJ Ortega Whiteside was a mistake for where you drafted them. Uh and but Howie, you know, he's he made an investment in them. They're his guys, and he doesn't want to give up on them. He wants yeah. to give them every chance to possibly make this roster and justify the decision that he made. I don't they think it's going. Do. And, and Rager, look, I think that Jay Jaw could possibly make the team as a backup and continue to contribute on special teams. Yeah, I mean, I think he could do that. I don't think he's going to be anything beyond that, but he could be that. Jalen Rager, I just think, is a lost cause. I agree. 215-592-9494. Don't forget, best caller of the day wins a $50 gift card to Shibe Sports. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now. Are you tired of dealing with your old drafting windows and doors in your house? Maybe it's time you finally go Guida. The great people at Guida Door and Window will help make your window and door replacement project more affordable with their buy one, get one half off sale. For every door or window you buy, you get a second one at 50% off. And you can mix and match these savings to suit your own needs. Buy an entry door, get half off a storm door. Buy a patio door, you get 50% off a window. If you need to replace all the windows and doors in your house, well, you save 50% on half your project. The more you need, the more you save. Plus, Guida is making it easier for you to afford your project with no money down and interest-free financing for up to 18 months. Act Now offers for a limited time. Only restrictions apply. For full details, call Guida today. Schedule a free, no-obligation in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. He's Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Mack. Now let's talk to Lenny in Warminster. Lenny, what's on your mind? Good morning, gentlemen. Hey there. Yes. Um, Ray, are you familiar with this kid uh, from uh, the University of Utah? Uh, I think his name is Britton or Brighton. Omvi? Yeah. You are. Uh, he runs like the wind. My son sent me uh, some uh, highlights of this kid, and I my, my word. Uh, what do you think? Well, you're talking about the the kid that the Eagles signed as an undrafted free agent, right? Yeah, the kid we just it. talked and about, right? Right, not the heels of of this Rager business, of course. We know about him, but yeah, no, I think he. Um, I I see him as he's a punt returner. Is really kind of what he is. I mean, he's he, he is a receiver, but uh, the thing he does best is punt returning. And I think the Eagles are one of the areas that they they want to improve and they need to improve is is their special teams. No question. Yeah. Yep. All right. So, Thanks. Appreciate the call. Uh, Ray, other news yesterday, uh, not for the f- last time probably, Nick Foles gets released. Yep. Let the conversation begin. Yeah, well, I'm sure it will. <laughs> um, you know, it was uh, in the in the Bears' case, I mean, they, they signed Trevor Simeon as the backup quarterback. Frankly, I would rather have Nick Foles than Trevor Simeon. Uh, but it's a, it's a cap thing. You know, they say they're saving some money here. Uh, I think it's uh, I think Nick was due four million this year. Uh, I think by by letting him go, I think they're going to save about eight nine million off the cap. So um, you know, I think that that's it was financials more than it was anything else. I mean, Nick really only they he only started one game last year and he won it for them. You know, they won a they won a game in Seattle on the road against the Seahawks where he, he threw like the winning touchdown pass in the final minute. Typical Nick Foles thing just comes in, you give him the ball, and he goes and wins a game for you. Um, so it, it isn't that he did, it isn't that he performed poorly there when they gave him a chance to play, he won a game for them. But I think that they, you know, they made a commitment to the young quarterback. I mean, that's clearly where they're going and, um, they're going to try and save a little money on the backup quarterback position. So Nick Foles at the age of 33, uh, Nick Foles now gets to decide, okay, do I want to go on and 
you know, play somewhere else, or is it time for me to get on with the rest of my life? Nah, he's got to go somewhere else. Not here, but he's got to. First of all, one of my favorite players of all time for reasons that are shared by many people in Philadelphia. Well, of course. And second of all, a guy who has had one of the most fascinating careers in that for this franchise, he was golden, and he, it never worked out from all the other places he was. Nope. And he was so many other places, and it just never Right, he, he was he was with Andy in Kansas City. He was um, St. Louis. Yep. He was Jacksonville. That was going to work out. He got hurt. Yep. Chicago. It just the, wherever he's gone, you know, this is home. Yeah. And uh, well, with each of those situations, each one of them was different in its own way. I mean, St. Louis was just a terrible team. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know that anybody could have gone and succeeded there. That was just that was just a really really bad team. Um, he goes to Kansas City and he's the backup. I mean, yeah, Andy, Andy just kind of gave him the opportunity yeah, to Andy keep just, his career going. Which Andy was, just gave him the opportunity. Exactly. Andy just gave him the opportunity. Because after the Rams thing, I mean, Nick was ready to retire. Yep. And Andy said, no, 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 don't retire. You, you can still play this game. Come on out here. Um, you know, we, we just bring you in as a backup. No pressure. And, and Nick said, quite honestly, in, in the, what he was doing all the interviews around Super Bowl, that Andy saved his career. You know, Andy brought him into the league. Andy drafted him to Philadelphia. And then right at the point when Nick was ready to call it a career, Andy said, no, no, don't do that. Come here and, and at least be the backup. And that one year kind of revitalized him and made him really love football again. And he comes back to the Eagles and, you know, has, has the magical run to the Super Bowl. But then, you know, the injury to Jack, the, Jacksonville ended really because of an injury. Oh, he got uh, crushed, yeah. Yeah, and then the Chicago, he comes in there. they got a young quarterback that they're going to play. Nick's on the bench. He gets to play one game. He wins it. So, I mean, every situation has been different for him. But the one constant has been whenever he's been in Philadelphia, he's played really good. Yeah. <laughs> Love him. Uh, so, Ray, we've discussed the Eagles a lot today. We got the Phillies into the conversation after their win against the Mets yesterday. They do play tonight on ESPN. Uh, and, of course, we teed up the Sixers, who begin the playoff series tomorrow against Toronto. We have not yet mentioned the franchise whose season mercifully came to an end. Which I would call the – I've only been here since 1985, mm-hmm. but I would call it the worst season that I've ever seen from the Philadelphia Flyers. The worst. The worst. Oh, yeah. Uh, just disgusting and despicable. They did the breakup yesterday. Uh, I want to play a, just a little cut from uh, Ivan Provorov uh, on the, uh, on the, in the, the breakup news conference. I think everyone's mind is a little, you know, you know, everyone's a little pissed about this whole, you know, how – where we are right now because this should be the fun times where you actually get to play you know games that for something and uh we're not so i'm sure not a lot of guys had a good night's sleep tonight so okay oh that's all fine and well um he also later got a little testy with the media when asked to evaluate his season said uh he did a a, a voracek on mike sielski said well you guys are all the experts you know you're geniuses you decide which is whatever. Um, I I don't even know what question to ask you, Ray. I just know that that franchise is nowhere and going nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you would think they're going to replace the general manager and the coach, the team president or whatever Dave Scott is, uh, board of governors, whatever he is, said, uh, you know, no, replace the GM. Why would we do that? Yeah, I know. Um, but they I, also have- I, do, I, do you really believe that? Could they really be thinking that? I hope not. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. The thing, that's part of the thing. You, you don't know whether you can believe the message. 
You know, I, 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 certainly the fans don't at this point. No, the uh, fans are out. The fans are done. The fans are out. And they have reason to be. I yeah. mean, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing there in that organization that if you're a fan that you can believe in. I mean, this was, this was a horrible season, just a horrible season in, in every possible way. And if you're a fan, it was disheartening. But now the real question is, okay, you look at it, do you have any realistic hope that, it could, that next year is going to be different? I don't that know next year is going to be on. better? Yeah, no, Based on what? Yeah, That's the, the thing. Their thing is, well, you know, a lot of guys were hurt. You know, we never, oh, never got to see Ryan Ellis. Uh, you know, they, they're, they're giving you that. And it certainly is true that a lot of guys were hurt. But I don't know that those are foundational guys that you can say, okay, the team in the next two or three years will become a contender because of that. No, no. And that's that to me is my great fear here is that is that they are going to try and wash this away with, you know, we didn't have Coots, you know, he's he's our best forward. And, you know, Ellis, you know, Ryan, we brought him in and he was going to be our guy on defense and we didn't have him. And so. And uh, we're going to move on from the coach. You know, so, but, but don't worry. We'll, we'll be good. We'll be good. It, it, was, it was injuries, and that's really what it was. But we're going to be – no, 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 a thousand times no. There are a million things wrong with that organization. And, it, and it's on the ice and it's off the ice. And until they get their house in order, it's hard to believe in them. And that's why – that's why this – I just I – just, to me, it's just unthinkable that, that – Chuck Fletcher could be back as general manager. I just and the fact that that Dave Scott at his press conference, one of the first things he did was say, "Oh no, no, Chuck's going to be here." How? If you're if if you're if you if you're mindful at all of what the fan base has gone through this year, how can you just start off your press conference but basically saying, "Well, yeah, we're bringing back the general manager who built this team." I mean, really seriously? I don't know how they can do that. Brilliant, Rick. Actually, we have a caller. Let's talk about the Flyers. Let me get him here. How? Al, what's your thought? Hey, hey, fellas. Hey. Um, I'd like to talk about one player that just epitomizes what went wrong this year is uh, Ritzelainen. Uh, first of all, you trade for him. And overpay in the trade, at, at best, he's a fourth, fifth defenseman on your team. Uh, I think he's then better you than that. Then you the mistake by resigning him and paying him as like a second or third defenseman. Now, He's a good guy in the locker room. He's a he, he's a hitter, but that stuff is in the seventies. And now we get back to Clark and Holmgren having an influence on the team. Uh, no, Bobby I don't, Clark I don't, I don't Mike, think that's your problem. I really do. Yeah, but I, I don't know, think I don't think Holmgren's making the calls here. Yeah, I, I don't know that. You know, I don't I don't know that Bob's engaged at all anymore. No, I and I, so. I and I don't no. know how much input Paul really has anymore. No. How do you explain the Ritz alignment? I, I didn't understand. I don't think he's as bad him. as you do. I don't think he's particularly good, but I, I, I think I like him a little more than you. I think he's – I mean, we're splitting hairs here. I think he's like a, a second-unit defenseman, okay? You think he's a third-unit defenseman. It was, it, But they gave up a first a number one for him, which oh, I yeah, thought was gave, crazy. Oh, yeah, uh, that's, that, that, that is true. I won't argue that. Um, I don't know. He I just think the they worst, have bigger problems. Um, I, I hear he your the frustration. Worst analytics in the league. Yeah, that's well, what I don't understand. I think hockey analytics are a bunch of BS. I think analytics make a lot of sense in baseball. I think to some degree they do in football. But Ray, if you want to explain to me Corsi and its intrinsic value, I'll give you all the time you need. <laughs> uh, no thanks. No, no, no. Oh, okay. All right. Let's sneak in CJ here, who thinks Howie had what kind of weekend? CJ. Oh, oh, heck! Is it me? That's you. Uh, yeah, it's you. 
Oh, geez. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, you're fine. fine. Wonderful weekend. Oh, my God. I'll be singing Howie's praises all through the weekend. All through the week. Well, the, uh, they're, as, as they're building the statue right outside the link as we speak. <laughs> oh, man. David. I think Jeffrey Laurie was right to build the statue a long time ago. I don't think he's going anywhere. No, Howie's Howie's not going anywhere. I mean, the thought that that there was uh, that his job was ever in jeopardy was, I mean, that, that was not. That was a pipe dream from us. Yeah, I mean, I, to me, to me, he's going to he's going to be the guy here as long as Jeff owns the team. I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, and uh, so, I mean, listen, there was some there were some bad draft picks over the years, but um, this was certainly not. If you're looking to find fault with Howie Roseman, this isn't the weekend to do it because I think yeah. this week, I think this weekend, he really, really did a good job. Ray, can I clip and save all these convers the Howie is a genius conversations for uh, use down the road? Yeah, I think you should. Yeah, please do. I've been listening for I don't know five, six years now, and I've only called twice in the past week, and they've both been about Howie. There you go. You're in. I'm <laughs> sure Howie appreciated uh, Howie Ray. Howie yeah. is a genius, mm-hmm. and I have no doubt that that opinion will never change. Um. Oh no, it it could it could very well change. <laughs> It could very well change the first preseason game, but I mean, and there's a lot, boy, there's a lot to unpack with Howie, you know, if if you go, because he's been doing this job forever. You know, when you think about it, I mean, I just read a stat that like, he's the third longest tenured general manager in the NFL now. And with and with and that doesn't include his time in the broom closet. Well, yeah, well, that was only one year. I mean, if you, if well, you, I'm saying it doesn't include the time before that. Right. I mean, that's this is this is. The second term, or this is combined. Uh, this is combined. Oh, it's combined. Okay. But okay. I mean, if um, but I, I you know, and with Kevin Colbert, with Kevin Colbert retiring, which he he had, he said he was going to work in Pittsburgh. He yeah. was going to work through the draft and then retire. If he really, if he really does do that, and it appears as if he's going to, then you got Mickey Loomis in New Orleans, mm-hmm. and then you got Howie. I mean, so he's been doing this for a long time. And if anybody's a general manager in the NFL over that period of time, you're going to have your hits. You're going to have your misses. Uh, and we all have spent a lot of time talking about the misses, but this is a weekend when you got to step back and say, you know what, general manager did a really good job. He really did. Uh, speaking about the Steelers, there are there's some talk that Andy Weidel, who's again should get some credit for what the Eagles are doing right now, could be the next general manager. Oh, that's interesting. The other name that I heard linked to the uh, to the Steelers was Lewis Riddick. Oh well, I heard you're, that. I heard. You're a big I heard fan. That, that was uh, yes, and I I am a big fan. I think that Lewis. Lewis is a very smart guy. He's he's made a very smooth transition to television. I think he's, he's good. Re- I think he's really good on TV, and he was really really good this weekend uh, working with the guys at ESPN. Uh, but I think he wants to get back in football. I think he wants to get back in in there being a GM, making those decisions, not just talking about them. So, um, but you know, and, listen, Andy Weidel is a very smart guy, uh, and I think he's I think he's been very very helpful in the Eagles organization, and he's probably ready. He's probably ready to move on to that next job, and if, and if it's Pittsburgh, it's a great place to work. You know, you're working for a great family, the Rooneys. There's real stability there. Great fans, great history. Um, boy, I mean, if, if you're talking about being a general manager's chair, that's a good, that's a good fit and be a good place to go. Pittsburgh is one of them, right at the top. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Coming up, we'll get a view of the Eagles draft from a guy who looks at the entire league, Shield Kapadia of the Athletic. He's Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Macnow on ninety four WIP. Along with Ray Dinger, I'm Glenn Macnow. 
94 WIP. It is the day after conclusion of the three-day festifon that is the NFL draft. And one guy who looks at the whole thing, looks at the whole league, and pays attention to the Eagles is our pal Shiel Kapadia of The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Shiel Kapadia, uh, S-H-E-I-L-K-A-P-A-D-I-A. Man, you probably had to spell both of those names your entire life, Shiel. That's right, but you nailed it right there, Glenn. Thanks for having me, guys. Always a pleasure. Um, let's go through the draft and kind of your report card, which you put out uh, either last night or this morning, and let us start with the first round, the pick of Jordan Davis, and your thoughts on that. Yay, nay, what do we give it? Yeah, I, I kind of flip-flop back and forth a little bit on Jordan Davis, but, you know, I, I definitely like the player. I mean, this is a high-upside player, like one of the best athletes we've seen in the draft maybe ever. I know that sounds crazy, but the way he tested before the draft, uh, certainly you can make that case. And it's not like this is just a combine wonder. I mean, he won the uh, Betanaric Award last year, top defensive player in the country. So uh, that part I love. The part I have questions about is, is he going to develop into a top-tier pass rusher? Because he only played about 25 snaps per game last year. Uh, Georgia took him off the field on third down in obvious passing situations. And so if you're looking at it and you feel like you can make a projection that, yeah, he's going to make that leap, then I love the pick. If you say, I don't know if he's going to get there, then you can say, is it worth it to spend the 13th pick on a player uh, who might just be kind of a, a run stuffer, a really good run stuffer, but Knight might not be on the field in kind of those key moments. So uh, I don't even remember the grade I gave it, Glenn. I think it was a B or a B plus uh, because it, it's kind of a tough one for him. Yeah, you gave it a, you gave it a gentleman's B. Okay. Yeah, I think that that's a fair assessment, Shield. I think that that's kind of uh, anybody that saw Georgia, anybody that saw him, knows that it's a given that he can play the run. I mean, there's no there's no doubt about that. Uh, how good he's going to be as an NFL player is really is really going to be it's going to be based on can you turn him into a pocket collapser? Can he can he be a guy that gets across the line of scrimmage, gets pressure on the quarterback, collapses the pocket, which he's capable of doing. One of the things that, um, that Barrett Brooks and I were talking about yesterday, with some, with some of the selections they made, some of the personnel choices they made, some of the things they've done in the offseason, um, to, me, to me, Jordan Davis, I mean, he is, he is a classic nose tackle. I mean, he is, he is just a classic nose tackle. And I'm just wondering if this team, I'm not saying going all out, but I'm just wondering if this team is transitioning towards being a 3-4 team. I'm not saying that's going to be their base defense, but you take Hassan Reddick as kind of an edge rush guy. Um, I'm just looking at this and I'm saying I, I have to think that bringing Davis in here, one of the things you're going to do is you're going to be playing more zero technique than you played in the past and just let him play over the center's head, take on the double team, and see if he can get pass rush from there, but open up the edges for the guys that you want, like the um, guys like Sweat, guys like Reddick, guys that can come in like that. But I, th- I, I th- just the personnel choices they're making here, uh, it just had me thinking that there must be some sort of a three-four, three-man line component to part of what uh, Gann is putting together. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Ray. I mean, I, I thought the same thing when you look at you know what they want to do. I think they want to, like you said, I don't know that it's going to be what percentage it's going to be, but being able to play with more multiple fronts with George.
Hayward and Davis. I think that's absolutely a factor in this pick. You know, I know Jonathan Gannon, and we're really seeing in the league, a lot of teams are saying, hey, we want to play with two deep safeties. We don't want that strong safety playing up there in the box because we want to prioritize uh, reducing, preventing explosive plays. Like, that's been the number one, you know, kind of big trend uh, defensively in the NFL, I think over the last couple of years here. Now, to do that, if you're going to play with two safeties back and not get gassed by the run, well, you have to have some big boys uh, on the defensive line. and You have to have a guy who can kind of play two gaps like Jordan Davis can play. So, yeah, I do think he gives them that ability to kind of play more multiple fronts, uh, be a little more versatile up front, and hopefully, uh, you know, keep those offensive linemen away from those linebackers who are a little undersized but should be able to get to the ball carrier if they don't have to deal with those guards in their faces. Before we get to the second round, let's talk about the big trade that occurred for A.J. Brown, um, where the Eagles move up and give up you know, the, that first pick plus a third. Tennessee ends up drafting another receiver there. But what did you think of that deal from the Eagles' perspective? And do you have hopes that A.J. Brown can come back um, off of his poor season last year and be a number one guy for the Eagles? Yeah, I, I love the trade. I love A.J. Brown. I, I mean, this guy, I think, you know, really has the feeling – to be a top five wide receiver in the NFL. And I think a big difference from some of the other wide, you know, we saw Tyree Kill get traded. We saw Devontae Adams get traded earlier this offseason. H.J. Brown's going to be 25 years old, 25 years old at the time you get him. I mean, that's different than those other wide receivers who are going to be 29, uh, 30, 31 years old for the teams that acquired them. So you're getting like a player with an all-pro ceiling, who theoretically should be in his prime. And he's just a really fun player. I mean, I don't know how many you know, Eagles fans have watched him extensively on kind of a week-to-week basis, but this is the type of guy that, you know, you have uh, two or three, three and outs in a row. You're not kind of happy with the way the offense is going, and you can throw a slant or a screen to A.J. Brown, and he can stiff-arm a guy, and he's gone for a 40-, uh, 50-yard touchdown. He really is that game-changing type wide receiver so yeah I thought that was a great trade for him now you have to pay him a lot of money but really if you look at the guaranteed money it's less than what Devontae Adams got it's less than what Tyreek Hill got it's less than what Stefan Diggs got from the Buffalo Bills so like they didn't overpay in terms of the contract I thought they paid him at a fair market value and again you're getting a player who's really uh, in the prime of his career I'm sure you must have done um, your homework as you always do on AJ um And so I'm sure you're aware of what he went through um, and what he spoke about openly last year uh, down in Tennessee. Um, The the depression issues, the um, going being so depressed that he he thought about taking his own life. Um, It was an extraordinary press conference that he had down there last last year. Um, And so when the deal was first announced and uh, and and hit us cold on Thursday night, you know, when everybody else was celebrating, I was kind of hedging and, and kind of just said, yo, I know this kid's a really good player. I mean, two years ago, I thought he was one of the best receivers in the league. You're right about his age. He's certainly coming into his prime. But the other stuff really worried me until I could kind of get talk to some people and get some sense of, of where he was and had he gotten help. And apparently he has. Now, I know you've probably looked into this part of it, too, but uh, and you, I'm sure the Eagles must have before they made the trade. But could you talk? Could you speak a little to what AJ went through before and where you think he might be now, and what kind of a guy is coming to Philadelphia? Yeah, I think you're right. You know, he talked openly about kind of the serious mental health issues 
that he faced here over the past couple of years, and they got very serious, and he hadn't opened up about it uh, for a while. And, you know, one of our writers, I think Dan Pompey uh, from The Athletic, went down to Tennessee and kind of got him to open up a little bit about it publicly. And it's just a different world than it was 10, 20 years ago. You know, players didn't talk about this stuff openly at that time. It was kind of seen as a weakness. And, I, and now I think much for the better – they're saying, yeah, we're going through stuff. We have mental health issues. It's okay to ask for help. You know, this is kind of a societal thing that has kind of, you know, gone into the NFL as well. And, again, it's absolutely for the better. So, um, you know, you never really know how that stuff – it's not something that you wake up all of a sudden one day and uh, you're cured. You know, it's kind of an ongoing process. You talk to any player who's gone through this, any person who's gone through this, and they'll talk about it. It's something you have to continue to work on. You have to continue to talk to people, get the proper counseling, have the resources in place. You know, I think the Eagles do a good job, uh, certainly, with that stuff, and he'll have kind of a good support system here. So, uh, yeah, it, it's certainly something fair to acknowledge. You know, I, I almost thought, Ray, kind of the, the other thing, I almost thought the physical health was the thing that I looked at and said, wait a minute, why are the Titans giving up on a 25-year-old wide receiver who they drafted who's been a phenomenal player for them? Why are they trading him? right now so to me that almost might be a little bit more of the concern you know when you trade for a guy it's not like you can bring him in and get you know put him through medical testing and have your doctors look at him I mean you're calling the Titans making the trade and then A.J. Brown comes in and he'll obviously have a physical but he did have some injury issues you know coming out of the draft he has missed I think uh, missed some time here over the past few years so that to me was my antenna went up a little bit going to the Titans know something about kind of the physical injury history. And that's why they're uh, giving up uh, on him here. So that, that's another thing to kind of keep an eye on. Yeah. I mean, last year was, was certainly an up and down year for him. I mean, his, his catches were down, his yardage was down, he had a lot more drops last year than he had had before. Um, but when I went back and looked at it, the one thing that was really encouraging was he played his best games against the best teams. I mean, he had some weeks where he was not a factor at all. But he played really good against the Chiefs. He played really good against Buffalo. And then his best game of the year was the playoff game against Cincinnati, where he just, he just, he just lit it up and almost won that game for Tennessee. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I, I thought the fact that he played, even though it was an erratic up-and-down kind of year, the fact that he played his best games in the biggest games I thought was a positive sign. Shield uh, Capati is our guest. Shield, I just want to get to the, the next two picks before we run out of time. You were less enthusiastic about the Eagles' second-round pick, uh, the big center, Cam Jurgens. How come? Well, you know, I just look – first of all, I like I really like Jurgens as a player. I mean, you know, I don't want to say anybody is the next Jason Kelsey, but when you look at the traits, the athleticism, how he performed in college, like I do think he's a high-level prospect. And if you told me Cam Jurgens was going to go uh, at 51 – before the draft, I mean, that's around where I thought he, he should have gone. So I don't think it's a reach in that respect. My only issue here is that it feels like for six years, they've been trying to come up with a Jason Kelsey succession plan. And Jason Kelsey is still here and, you know, was an all pro last year. Now, if, listen, if Kelsey told them, hey, I'm coming back for 2022, but this is definitively going to be my last year and then I'm retiring, then I think this pick is perfectly fine. But we know how this goes. I mean, guys think that it's going to be their last year, and then they play, and then they feel good, and they play at a high level, and they say, you know what, let's run it back for another year. I mean, Kelsey's been talking about retiring for, what, uh, three years here, and he's still playing as one of the best centers 
in the entire NFL. So I look at it from that perspective and say, man, if Kelsey, we know Kelsey's playing this year, if Kelsey's going to come back and play in 2023, then all of a sudden you just spent the 51st overall pick on a guy who might have a hard time getting on the field in his first two years in the NFL and these rookie contracts are four years long. So that's 50% of his rookie contract where he might not play. So again, I think there are two big factors here. One is if they've gotten word from Kelsey that this is really going to be it and then he's going to retire. And then the other factor is if they think Jurgens can play guard, then I have no issue with this pick. Now, some people I talked to during the pre-draft process were kind of skeptical. He was seen as a center-only prospect. The Eagles, I know Nick Sirianni said he thinks he can, Jurgens can play guard, and I won't put anything past Jeff Stoutland that they can develop him there. So that would kind of change my uh, opinion uh, of that pick if, if Jurgens has that versatility. Yeah, I know. I think he's. I think he's a center. I think that's what he is. But when you watch him play, when you watch him on film, he is Kelsey all over again. It's 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 amazing. I mean, just that coming off the snap, getting you know, engaging that defender right away. I mean, he's so quick. He's able to get outside. Um, really smart. I mean, all this, all the traits that has made Kelsey such a. And I don't want to compare him to Kelsey, obviously, because Kelsey's an all timer for this team. But a lot of the stuff you saw of Kelsey coming out of college is exactly what this guy represents. So, Sheila, I kind of took it the way that I guess you're kind of suggesting is I think Kelsey was just very clear with the Eagles. I'm, give, I'm, I'm playing one more year and I'm gone. So I, I think the succession plan was, was definitely in place. I think Juergens probably would have gone right around that point somewhere, but the feeling that you can bring him in here and be your next plug-and-play center I think to me made a lot of sense. Uh, Sheila, let's wrap this up by talking about the third-round pick of the Eagles, a uh, guy that we were all kind of shocked fell that far, N'Kobe Dean, the linebacker out of Georgia. And you give this one an A-. minus. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you have to be excited about this pick. Now, it's sort of the same thing we were talking about with A.J. Brown. Whenever a guy slides in the draft, uh, rather than just immediately, you know, jumping up and saying, hey, you know, our, our team's got a steal. I do think you have to look at the other side. And the other side is that, you know, he was passed over 82 times. And so you don't want to have that arrogance that, hey, we're smarter than every other team in the NFL. And, uh, you know, we can't believe he was here. And we know better because there were obviously reasons why teams passed on him. And so I, I think a few of those were uh, he is a little bit undersized. He didn't do any of the athletic testing during the pre-draft process. So maybe there's some questions about, uh, you know, how he fits there. And then, of course, I think the big one is some of the injury issues, whether it's the pec injury uh, during sort of the pre-draft process or some of the other stuff he had there at Georgia. Now, having said all that, you're not spending a first-round pick on Kobe Dean. I mean, you're getting him in the 80s in the third round. This is a guy who a lot of people thought was kind of a top 25, top 30 player overall. He's got all the intangibles. I think fans are going to, uh, you know, fall in love with him to be sort of the, the alpha, the leader on the best defense we've seen in college football in a really long time. That's a lot. And even those, you know, the, the injury concerns I mentioned, I mean, this guy was durable playing in the SEC at the highest level uh, for the Georgia Bulldogs. So uh, I like that pick a lot. I, I'm not telling you, you know, they're smarter than everyone else and he's going to turn into an all pro, but man, we've been waiting for them to upgrade the linebacker position. And so at that point in the draft to get a player uh, of that caliber, uh, that to me really did feel like a no brainer. I agree. I mean, I thought it was a great pick. I, I had, I had a first round grade on Dean, even though, I was aware that because of his size uh, that he was probably going to fall to the second round, but I thought that was the floor. I didn't think, you know, certainly somebody's going to take him in the second round. And I was thinking that the Eagles might take him when their pick came up there, and I was, okay, I kind of get Juergens. I see what you're doing there. But 
I never thought that you'd see Dean still on the board that deep into the third round. And at that point, just based on his college tape, you just looked at that. You just said, this guy's this guy can play. I mean, he just flat out can play. And for a defense that really needed that kind of speed, that kind of athleticism, and that kind of playmaking, frankly, I mean, I thought that he's a, I thought he was a great pick. I think that's – I mean, I really like the Davis pick. Uh, I like the trade for Brown. Uh, but to me, the – the, the most pleasant surprise of the whole draft was finding Dean there and having the Eagles actually actually make the make the call to bring him here. Nice, Shia. What are you working on next? Well, now I you know I did the grades for the individual picks, but now I kind of sit back and I look at all the classes today. I'm going through that right now, and so uh, I'll have you know grades for all 32 draft classes uh, up on the Athletic tomorrow, and those will undoubtedly look stupid and foolish uh, two or three years from now. But you know what? Uh, that, that's, that's part of the job. So I enjoy doing it, kind of taking a step back and looking, how every, looking at how everyone did. And the good news is none of that will live forever on the Internet, Jill. We'll delete it. Yeah, we'll make sure we come up with some program <laughs> that makes it uh, disintegrate here maybe in a year or so. All right. Hey, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for being our guest. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. All right. There you go. There you go. Yeah, all of this, all of this, sh- all of this stuff should be put on that same tape machine they used to use on Mission Impossible. You know, <laughs> this tape will self-destruct in ten seconds. Yeah, yeah. yeah all yeah. the draft conversation Smoke comes out of yeah, it. Yeah, should should be put on those tapes. Well, there you go. Uh, well, I tell you, one guy apparently not that happy with the Eagles' first-round pick is Vince in South Philly. Not uh, delighted with the Jordan Davis pick, eh, Vince? Uh, correct, Lane. Correct, Ray. Um, I've been a fan for decades. Listen, every weekend, that's your by fall on talk Oh, radio. you're very kind. Thank you. Um, yeah, in reference to the move from 15 to 13, um, first I want to make a few points, but then I want to ask uh, two questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, I think we gave up a lot to move up two spots. Uh, bear with me. I'm a little nervous. No, no, you're fine. Don't <laughs> worry. Right. I think uh, uh, a lot of us know so many NFL players who were drafted late that are Hall of Famers, obviously Brady, I think Davis from Denver, and even Eagles history. Mm-hmm. Montgomery, sixth round, Joyner, Simmons, late rounds, Kelsey, and of course, Mulata. So, <clears throat> excuse me. All right, two questions. First, Ray, if we stayed at 15, first of all, do you agree with that, that we gave up too much? And also, if we stayed there, Ray, who would you have picked assuming Jordan Davis and Kyle Hamilton wasn't on the board. And another question. That's Wait, hold on. You, you got a lot. We got to get to it. So assuming they both were available? Yeah. No, assuming they were both gone. Oh, assuming they were both gone. Okay, Ray, if they were both gone, who would have been your next pick? Uh, assuming that Davis and Hamilton were gone, right? Yeah. yeah. Correct. I might have, I might have gone for Jermaine Johnson right there. Guess what? That's who, who, my other, my dropped, other question. What yeah, who dropped to twenty? Who dropped to uh, hold on one second. He dropped to twenty six, twenty seven. He dropped late. Yeah, he, he went. He went down to twenty six to New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which surprised me. I still, there were a few unanswered questions in this draft, as far as I'm concerned, and one of them is that how did how did Jermaine Johnson? drop from being what I thought was going to be a top 10 pick, and I think most people thought it was going to be a top 10 pick, all the way to 26. Um, is there something there that none of us know about? I don't know. But uh, at that point, yeah, if you're saying if, if the Eagles were at 15 and Hamilton was gone and Davis was gone, where would I have gone? I would have gone Jermaine Johnson. Okay. 
Uh, by the way, uh, a Woj bomb, well, not a bomb, but Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN uh, says, sources say, Joel Embiid will not travel to Miami for games one or two, but there is optimism he could return uh, as either game three, as soon as, excuse me, I'm reading this wrong, as soon as either game three or four in Philadelphia, he needs to clear concussion protocols and see Dr. Midweek on his orbital fracture. Okay. Um, Doesn't say a whole lot. Any thoughts on that? No, well, I think what it, it doesn't really change anything uh, other than the fact that it's, it's for the Sixers, it's imperative that they find a way to win one of the two games in Miami. Yeah. You know, so that when, whenever Embiid comes back, they're not down 0-3 and hopeless. You know, that find a way to, to steal one of the two games in Miami, extend the series, and put him in a position where if he can come back, he's still in a position to come back and help you win the game. But somehow you've got to find a way to win one of the two in Miami. Very much agree. 215-592-9494. We'll talk about that more coming up. I see Simon and Michael on hold. We'll get to you guys uh, as well in the next segment. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Ah, Ray. Um, that was really nice. I'm glad we played that. Obviously, people know that uh, we are playing that, not because it's happening, but because as a tribute to Sid Mark, um, I mean, nobody did it longer and with more class in this market than Sid Mark, who, Ray, you probably started listening to as a kid Mm -hmm. and did it up until very, very recently, was a gentleman, was unique in the business, had had his, um, I don't want to say his lane because that sounds restrictive, but, but, I mean, found, found the formula for a great radio show that ran for decades and decades. It did. And it's, uh, um, he was a giant. He really was. And you're quite right about, um, from one time I was a kid, um, I remember every Friday, every Friday in, was date night in our house. Um, my, my father worked long hours and every Friday night he took my mother and me out to dinner. Uh, and we always went to the same, <laughs> we always went to the same, our family was nothing if not routine bound. Uh, and so every Friday we went to the same place, uh, and it was then called the Broomall, and it was on Baltimore Pike, um, in uh, in right there in in, in Folsom, mm-hmm. and um, and we would go into what they called the Carnival Room, and it was uh, and they always had the radio on, they always had the same station on, and we went every Friday night, and what was playing was Sid Mark, and at that time because it was Friday, the show was called Friday with Frank. Uh, and so every Friday night we would go in there and I would have my veal Parmesan and listen <laughs> and listen to Friday, Sid Mark do Friday with Frank. I mean, yeah. and then I was, and I was just a kid sitting there with my mother and father. And that yeah. was, that was, you know, we did that for years and years and years. And he, so that's how long Sid's been doing this. And Friday with Frank morphed into Sunday with Sinatra. And I've been listening to that too. And, um, Always looked forward to it. I mean, Sunday morning, if I was out in the car, I would always listen. I would always listen to Sunday with Sinatra. And Sid, and Sid was the constant, you know. And he always had, as, for as many years as he did this, and it's obviously decades, um, he always had these great Sinatra stories that yeah. he sprinkled in with the music. And the music was just wonderful. But he would sprinkle in over the course of the show all these wonderful Frank Sinatra anecdotes that were that were just wonderful, and it was it was just the it was just the best most listenable fun show, 
And obviously Sinatra's music was a big part of it, but but Sid was just the perfect host. He really was. It was it was great radio for generations. And a really nice guy. Uh, I got to know him, you know, in our last building when we were downtown. We were one floor below them. Uh, and, and, you know, he was often in when, when we were in on weekends or on Friday, I would see him. Um, and I was really flattered and honored some years back when they asked me. They were doing a, a tribute show, a tribute event for him um, over at a big hotel in Cherry Hill. And they asked me to MC it. And I was just really honored and flattered and you know, got to sit and interview him for that and mm-hmm. have him talk about all his memories. And it's just, it's such a gentleman, um, you know, not only great at what he did, but somebody that everybody liked, which is very difficult in this field. So, yeah, I think you describe him perfectly. A gentleman is exactly the perfect word to describe yeah. Sid Mark. And, you know, let's face it, in the world today, gentlemen are in short supply, you know, it, but, but Sid was, Sid was part of that generation and, uh, a great guy. And, uh, just a, a wonderful radio presence for years and years and years. Uh, I'm, I'm really going to miss him. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Simon in Center City is with us. Simon, what are you thinking? Hey, well, I, I met him once, and he loved what he was doing. I met him like three, four years ago when they moved to like 3rd and Market mm-hmm. and uh, the radio station, and he was a gentleman. He treated me like a VIP. You know, I gave him something to play on the radio, and uh, just a great man. So, you know, we, we love, love, love Sid Mark, love, love what he did. And he, nice. loved, he loved doing what he did. That's true. Um, well said, Simon. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm going to try to say something else well said. So follow me. I remember distinctly and clearly, this is deja vu. Yogi Berra called it deja vu all over again. We had the best record in the NFL we had an MVP leading candidate, just like we have Joel Embiid, MVP leading candidate, as we came, had the best record that we approached the end of the season, went, went down. Everyone, every host said the season was over. Everyone not me. No, 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 no. That is not true. Well, I remember a lot of them did. Uh, a, lot a lot of them did. did. Ray and I did not. Did well, not, did not, you. did not. God bless you. So here's my antidote. Here's my antidote. I was saying that you want the Sixers to sign Nick Foles. So he is available. <laughs> well, but here's the deal. Last year, Maxie and Shake Milton had each had great one, at least one or two games in the playoffs, right? They really, in the against the Hawks, you know, they both excelled. And, like, when you're really young, you're too young to know about the pressure. You know, like Maxie plays pressureless there's no pressure no expectations here's what i would do i if if you can give him uh, extend his contract extend paul reed's contract meet him give him a couple of million bucks say paul you're the man and just let him do his thing next year he could put on 10 20 30 pounds the kid has talent he hits threes from the corner i think i think the person you need to tell this to is doc rivers well because he clearly has no faith in the kid and should have had him play more during the season so that when a moment like this came up, he would be more prepared. But, you know, Larry Brown didn't play the young guys at all. At all. They sat on the bench for like a year or two. Samuel Dallenberg, you know, these young guys. Uh, it's, here we, we just got to give it a shot. You know, we, he doesn't I, have I, I understand, and I, and I like your enthusiasm, and I also appreciate what you said about um, Sid. You know, one of the indictments that I think, and, and we listen, we discussed this during the season, was 
that there were games when Doc clearly should have gone to his bench, gone to the young guys on his bench to give them some opportunity to play meaningful minutes, and he never did and he never would. I'm not saying that's why they're going to lose the Miami series. There, there are large issues here, but I don't think you can count on B-Ball Paul coming in and being a star, uh, and maybe he never could be, but Doc's lack of faith in him during the season doesn't help. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. I, I kind of thought the same thing. Um, I never a lot of times when in games where I just thought, you know, really, just get him out of there. You know, I, you always because Embiid is a guy that his injuries have have always been the specter hanging over him. You know, I mean, things just happen to him, and he plays hard. I mean, you can't leave oh, yeah. him out there and ask him to just, oh, come on, just play it out. He's going to dive for balls. He's going to fight for balls. He's going to wind up on the floor. So yeah, I always viewed him as a guy. Every time he hit the floor, you held your breath. You know, and so when you could get when you could get him off the floor and give him some time, I thought that would have been for the better. But I think, sort of unspoken, there was a feeling in the organization that they were. I think they were. I think they were trying to help him win the MVP. So I think sometimes they extended his minutes to build up his stats, which to me, winning the MVP would have been nice. But I think there was a there was a greater there was there was a greater issue here that finally came back to haunt them. But the opportunity to give some of these young guys and Reed being one of them an opportunity to play a little bit more, to become a little bit more grounded and maybe earn a little bit more confidence from the coach would have been nice to have right now. Yeah, amen to that. 215-592-9494. Ray Didinger, Glenn Mack. Now, hey, come on up. Let's take a look at uh, how the other teams in NFC East fared in this draft. Um, and we'll be back with your call on 94 WIP. And it is time for me to talk to you. And ask whether you're tired of dealing with your old drafting windows and doors in your house. If so, it's time you finally go Guida. The great people at Guida Door and Window will help make your window and door replacement project more affordable with their buy one, get one half off sale. For every door or window you buy, you get a second one at 50% off. And you can mix and match the savings to suit your own needs. Buy an entry door, get half off a storm door. Buy a patio door, get 50% off a window. If you need to replace all the windows and doors in your house, you save 50% on half your project. The more you need, the more you save. Plus, Guida is making it easier for you to afford your project with no money down and interest-free financing for up to 18 months. Act now. Offers for a limited time only. Restrictions apply. For full details, call Guida today. Schedule a free, no-obligation in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Ray and Glenn, 94 WIP. Wrapping it up here. Uh, Ray, uh, we said we were going to talk about this, so let's do it. We always like to kind of uh, gaze at what the other teams in the Eagles division have done. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as I know, I guess the Giants are getting decent grades. The others not. Everybody's got their own opinion, so let's go through it. Okay. Uh, let's start with the Giants, who had a lot of picks, uh, early picks, new general manager. Review, if you would, kind of what they did in, in, in your mind. Yeah, um, Joe Shane, who's the new general manager, totally different approach than Dave Gettleman, the general manager before. Uh, Dave was really, I mean, the oldest of old school. Uh, didn't like, didn't, wouldn't trade, you know, was always just stay in place, take the best athlete available. Uh, not afraid to take a running back high, which he did with Barkley. Um, whereas Joe Shane is really out of the new school of general managing. He's willing to wheel, deal, and so forth, and did a lot of it this weekend. Now, um, they had two early picks, and um, they got Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, the, um, the defensive end from Oregon, and Evan Neal, 
offensive tackle from Alabama, who are both pretty solid players. I mean, Thibodeau is, is, was sort of up and down in college. I thought he – I don't want to say he was an underachiever, but there were times – there were weeks where I thought he didn't give it 110%. But when he wanted to play, he could really play. Uh, and he's 6'5", he's 255 pounds, he's got long arms. I mean, he's got, he's got the, the skills to be a big-time, big-time NFL pass rusher. And he clearly loves being in New York. He thrives on the attention. And if he comes out ready to play every week, he's going to be a handful for the NFC East. And Neal is just a rock-solid guy. The offensive line in the Giants has been a mess forever. Um, going back, you know, going back to the, the, when they were a good team under Parcells, they've been trying to piece it together. Not successfully at all under Gettleman. Evan Neal, with Evan Neal, they have at least one, one position nailed down. He'll be, he'll be your right tackle now for the next decade. Other, the rest of the picks after that were kind of all over the place. I mean, his, uh, they, they trade it down a bunch. Uh, he reached for a little bitty 5'8 wide receiver with his next pick, Wendell Robinson. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of a stretch. A couple of the other picks I thought were kind of stretches too. But overall, um, I gave them a pretty solid grade here, just on the strength of the first two guys who I think are going to come back, come in and do have impact right right away. Okay. Uh, let's move to the Washington Commies. Um, I gave them a D. Yeah. I gave them a D. Yeah, I, I I just didn't like very much of what they did there. Their number one pick uh, was uh, uh, Jahan Dodson, the wide receiver from Penn State. It was, it was a good player, um, but I I thought they overdrafted him where they drafted him. Uh, and then uh, Fedarian Mathis, a defensive tackle from uh, from Alabama, Brian Robinson, running back from Alabama. Look, I guess you can't really criticize people for taking guys from Alabama because they have a pedigree. But again, I thought in, in each case, I thought they overdrafted him. Uh, and then they, they, they brought in a quarterback, uh, which now that you've got Carson Wentz as your starter, if you draft a quarterback, <laughs> okay, now you have to start worrying. Is Carson now already looking over his shoulder? Um, they drafted Sam Howell, um, a quarterback. Uh, and now it wasn't. You know, they called up Wentz to discuss it with him before they did it? Uh, I'm sure they did. Yeah. I'm sure they did. I mean, given the way fifth that. Was rounder they needed to worry about Wentz's ego there? Yeah, well, that's, that's the thing. I mean, with Jalen Hurts, you took him in the second round, and, you know, that's one of where everybody's eyes went up. You know, Sam Howell's a fifth round draft pick. Uh, you know, from North Carolina, actually had a very disappointing end to his career. There were a lot of people thought he was going to be the best quarterback in the class. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a very finished up with a very poor year down in North Carolina. Not a good team. It wasn't all his fault. But you know, he's sitting on the board, and they decide he's good value in the fifth round, so they draft him. But yeah, you know, and I found I found it very funny that uh, Ron Rivera, the coach, actually felt the need to call Carson Wentz to prepare him he, for. He, he knows his history. Yeah, he 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 knows, and so they drafted Hal. Now, do I think that's going to freak out Carson Wentz? I don't really think so. I mean, Washington, but Washington has a lot of is- has a lot of issues and a lot of problems, and I don't really think that they solved them with this draft. All right, how about the Cowboys? Um, it's funny you get a mixed bag on the Cowboys. Some people like this like their draft a lot. Um, I thought it was okay. I certainly thought it was better than Washington's. I don't mm-hmm. think it was quite as good as the Giants. You know, I gave them a B. Uh, a lot depends on on what happens with the with their first pick. Uh, they drafted a, an offensive tackle named Tyler Smith from Tulsa, uh, sort of a small college player, but got you know he's got size. He's got a lot of attributes. I just don't know how ready he is to play right now. Um, they're trying to rebuild that offensive line that for years was really kind of the strength of the Cowboys. They had a really good offensive line for a while. It's breaking down now due to age, and they're starting to rebuild. Uh, if they're looking at this kid as a, a, a guy that's going to come in and start for them right away, I just don't know that he's quite there yet. 
their second pick, Sam Williams, at defensive end, is a good player and I think is going to come in and give them, give them some pass rush. The rest of it I thought was kind of hit and miss. Um, the tight end, they got Jake Ferguson. They got him in the fourth round. I saw him play at the Senior Bowl. I think he was pretty good. I think he's going to be able to come in and be a nice component to that offense. But overall, top to bottom, I thought it was kind of a hit and miss draft. I gave it a B minus. So, so if, if, if bottom line, if the bottom line it is you know, the Eagles won this weekend. If you're talking about the NFC East, the Eagles won this weekend by secretariat by 23 lengths. I mean, it's, I think that's uh, that that's a quote that I think should live on in the Twitterverse. <laughs> Eagles won by secretariat lengths. Very nice, right? That's that's good to hear. Uh, let's think of Barbara in Allentown before we uh, turn it over to our producer. What's up, Barbara? Hi. First of all, I know I don't have much time, but I have to say, Ray did injure Mr. Ray did injure you're the consummate person when it comes to both a gentleman and your knowledge of football. I go by everything you say and I have all your books but one. But that being said, that's a story for another time. Thanks, um so, oh, you're welcome. You were so kind to me one time when we met in person. But Sid Mark, that's why I called and mm-hmm. thank you for all your knowledge about the draft. You were so correct. I know about everything. I met Sid Mark in person, obviously, met him in person. When uh, Tony Bennett played in the round, that place in the round, you know, near Philly, can't think of what it was. Valley Forge Music Fair, probably. Yes, thank you. I knew you'd know. You know everything. And that wasn't meant to be sarcastic. And they were sitting there. No one was around them. He and Tony Bennett, and I had the nerve, the courage to walk up and say hello to them, introduce myself, and Sid Mark was such a gentleman. He got up, he shook his hand, my hand, and we spoke for a while, and Tony Bennett spoke to me, and he was just such a wonderful, wonderful man. And then flash backwards, actually, to when I had my daughter, and I was in labor, and I went into the delivery room, and it was touch and go which doctor you were going to have, and I didn't have my regular one because it was a practice with several doctors. But I got the doctor that I knew was a great Sinatra fan. And when I went in there, I said, I'm really upset. And he said, why? why? You're ready to have your baby. I said, I'm missing Sunday with Sinatra. <laughs> and he said, well, what's that? And I said, you're a Sinatra fan and you don't know about Friday with Frank and Sunday with Sinatra? And he said, well, what station is it on? And I told him and he called in the head nurse. I'm talking quickly because I know about yeah, time. Yeah, we got to go. And, so. And, and so he called in the head nurse and he told her to put it on. She said, I... I can't do that. It'll go over the whole floor. And he said, I don't care. Put it on. And, he put it, and they put it on. And I got to have my daughter give birth to my daughter listening to that's Sunday so with Sinatra. Nice. She'll a, be that, 40 in October. Barbara, that's a beautiful what, story. What a beautiful and, story, and Barbara. Thank you, thank you. That was great. What a great story. That's a what great a great story. way to end the show. Yes, sir. All right. Let us go to our producer, Dan Wilson. Find out, Dan, first of all, who's the caller of the day? Caller of the day, we're going to give it to Tom in Downingtown, who actually led off the show. Um, him and a few other callers were very, very good today, but we're going to uh, go with him, and he is uh, the winner of today's $50 Scheib Vintage Sports gift card. Very nice. Uh, okay, what do we forget to talk about? Yeah, so a few things. Uh, one thing from last night's Phillies game that I thought kind of was flying under the radar here, which you know, someone I and many of us here are often critical of is Joe Girardi, but I thought he managed one hell of a game last night, frankly. Gibson only goes four and a third, and whether it was Alvarado getting out of the fifth, Norwood to Dominguez to Familia to Kniebel, I mean, he put, every button he pushed last night like ended up working out, and it was a game they desperately needed with Scherzer going. I, I agree that it was a game they desperately needed, and it all did work. Um, 
Yeah, Gibson was losing control. Gibson wasn't giving up hits, but he was giving up walks, and he was losing control, and I think that Joe didn't didn't want the Mets to score right there. He, he pulled Gibson early. The shocker to me was that Alvarado got out of the inning. Two huge strikeouts. Yeah, because Alvarado is a guy I have no faith in whatsoever, and he did a, he did a great job getting out of the inning. And sure, so when Joe pushes the right buttons – I agree. Ray, you got to give the guy credit when it's due. Absolutely right. I mean, we'll be critical of him, but last night I think he handled it exactly right. All right. What else we got? To another coach that we're often critical of here in Philadelphia, uh, Doc Rivers. Now, we, it looks like Joel Embiid is going to return for as early as game three, according as to As early. That, that, that's a maybe. I, yeah. That's a maybe. Do we think this affects the status of Doc Rivers moving forward? Like, is this an excuse to bring him back? <laughs> Oh, I hadn't thought about that. So, Ray, if they lose the series Mm -hmm. and Embiid doesn't play or just plays, you know, a game or two at the end, does ownership say, does Daryl Morey say, well, you know, I mean, it didn't end well, but that's because we lost Joel. Doc is coming back, and, hey, let's sign him to an extension while we're at it. Well, um, he got a huge vote of – he got a huge endorsement from Marcus Hayes this weekend. So if that if that carries any weight with the Sixers front office, Marcus, I like Marcus, Marcus, a lot, Marcus I, certainly went to bat for the coach. He did, and I and I like Marcus. And Marcus is a, is a compelling writer, but I'm not sure that that carries weight with ownership. I say if I'm going to bet right now, I would bet that Doc Rivers is not the coach next year, like kind of regardless of it. That's my thought. And then the final thing I had was, and obviously two headline players that the Eagles got in Jordan Davis and Nicobe Dean. How about the University of Georgia setting an NFL draft record with 15 players selected? Right. Dra- it, by the way, draft record since they went down to seven when they used to do Correct. 17 yes, yes, rounds yes, in the modern right. Yeah, yeah, an entire uh, college team would be taken. But, Ray, you, you praised that team all year, that defense. You talked it up. Would they have five guys in the first round? Five, five defensive players in the first round. <laughs> And yeah. how many overall, Dan? Fifteen. Fifteen. I mean, it was an NFL team. Yeah, they had they had uh, eight defensive players, six offensive players, and even their punter, even their punter got drafted. <laughs> Jay Camarada uh, got drafted by Tampa Bay. the The actual record for most draft picks out of one school in one year, nineteen eighty four, the University of Texas, the Longhorns had seventeen. 17 of their guys drafted, but the draft, but the draft went 12 rounds draft. that year. Yeah. And by the way, I think I read the University of Texas had zero taken this year. Mm, I can't remember. I can't name one off the top of my head, so yeah, you might be right about that. As big of a shocker as anything else is that that place, which has forever been a football factory, had nobody drafted this year. Well, never, um, never more so than 1984 when you get 17 of your guys drafted. But in this, in this yeah, era I of – how many of those guys – I'd love to look back and see how many of those guys had impactful careers. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but this year that the Georgia team was, I I said it many times that that was a special team. I mean, I hadn't seen a team like that in a long time. They wound up winning the national championship, and now this year we get to see a whole bunch of them playing on Sunday. Yeah, that'll be pretty good. Um, hold on, I am looking at their the guys who got drafted from Texas that year, included. Hold on, uh, I can't find it. Never mind. If I if I had more time, I would get it. All right, coming up next is uh, Jack Fritz. Jack Fritz. Is taking it over here. Very nice. Good for him. Jack and I were just having a very animated discussion about Max Scherzer. So I think he'll probably be talking a lot of baseball. Uh, Jack is very good on baseball. I know he's, he's very fun. Uh, you Actually, Ray, I'll talk to you tomorrow. We are, uh, we are recording a Tell Us Your Story. So make sure Jack Fritz is aware of that as well. He's, uh, he has already been told. All right, good. It's cool. 
Dan Wilson, great job by you. Thanks to everybody for listening. Ray and I will be back next weekend right here on 94 WIP. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.